The world has gone insane. Cosplayers rule the conventions, gamers dominate the tabletop, and the internet. Sci-fi subjugates the movies, and fantasy rules the bookstore with an iron fist. Only one group can bring order to this unruly mob. A team of uber geeks, masters of the nerdly arts, trained for decades in the hobby shops and basements of the nation. Mobilized by the secret masters, they are the Department of Nerdly Affairs. Hello, operatives, and welcome to the Department of Nerdly Affairs. I'm your host, Rob Patterson, here with my co-host, Don Chisholm. dun 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 All right, then, and someone's getting a little ahead of the game, but all right, and tonight, we are going to be talking about Doctor Who, and um, to have this discussion, of course, we brought in one of our favorite Whovians, Jack Ward. Welcome back, Jack. Run! (laughs) (laughs) Who apparently is a big um, Christopher Eccleston fan, or or is that that, um, David Tennant, whichever. No, it is Eccleston that's his first thing he says to Rose Tyler when he when he comes on. <laughs> However, that's what they do a lot. Don will will verify with me that they, they spend a lot of time running. I think it saves on script writing. Oh, <laughs> it, it absolutely it kills screen time is what it does. For sure. For it sure. definitely skill, kills screen time. So yes, <laughs> we are going to be talking about Doctor Who. But there might be a few people in this audience who don't actually know what Doctor Who is um, for Whatever reason, don't worry. We're not we're not shaming anyone. It's very it's just entirely possible. So, Jack, could you uh, tell our audience if you had to explain to one of your students, since you're a teacher, how would you explain Doctor Who if they came up to you and said, "Mr. Ward, what's Doctor Who?" What would your answer be? Well, there's two things that I would have to explain. I would have to say, "What's Doctor Who in science fiction?" Mm-hmm. Right. So, what is it in English science fiction, for example? Right. And who is Doctor Who as in the character and the universe? Okay, right? fair So mm-hmm. is, is there any one of those that you want me to focus on? I, uh, I think, you, well, I, I was thinking or? more of who is Doctor Who as a character. How about we go with that? Okay, so Doctor Who is an alien with two hearts mm-hmm. and uh, from a place called Gallifrey, mm-hmm. which is so advanced that they have this ability to go through time. Um, and they are called the Time Lords, the Gallifreyans. He is a bit of a rebel and gets himself in trouble with the other uh, Time Lords and is sometimes uh, spent, is stuck on Earth because of it. He loves Earth for some reason because, and he looks, they look like they're human beings. They're one of the few aliens that look definitively as if they're human beings. But one of the coolest things about the Doctor, and he's not, he's not called Doctor Who by people. He's just called the Doctor for mm-hmm. some reason. Um, the coolest things is, is that when he dies, he has this ability to regenerate, which means his entire physical form changes and they can get another actor to play Doctor Who and he comes back and he's regenerated and mm-hmm. they get a chance to redo the entire show. Yep, or rejuvenate the entire show. It's, so it's not just the yes. Doctor who regenerates. It's often the show itself that regenerates with each incarnation. Absolutely, for sure. And he goes around in his own little ship, which is called the TARDIS, which looks like a policeman's box, but that's really another... That's for another story. Yep. <laughs> yep, exactly. TARDIS, by the way, folks, stands for Time and Relative Dimensions in Space. That's right. And I didn't have to look that up either. I actually knew that. That's that's. I'm a big enough Who fan that I knew that. <laughs> 
Um, But do you know what a tortoise is? A tortoise? Yes. I... It's a small land going turtle is what it is. <laughs> no, the, the T-O-R-T-I-S is uh, for a while, David Alt, who is my co-host in, in the Sonic Society, for some years when we first got started as co-hosting, I would write little pastiches because he plays Doctor Who in so many audio dramas mm-hmm. that we created this time or radio drama thing. And we would move in and out of radio dramas using the tortoise instead of the TARDIS. So it, it actually it actually looks like a Johnny on the spot on the outside of it too. So. <laughs> okay. I have a graphic that Matt D, uh, Matt uh, Leong made for us for one season, so I I could send you that. That's it's a lot of fun. Okay, so. sure, please please do the tortoise. Okay, sorry, I did not know that. I can. I, yeah, I yeah, it's it's been a and he loved doing those too. It was a lot of fun. We did we did that. And after we sort of, I did a, a bunch of bits based on Voyagers, if you remember that show. Yes, I Exclamation remember mark at the end. Yes. Where we would fall through the sky and get hurt. After yes. a while of, of you know, feigning being hurt all the time, we thought, well, let's let's land a little more safely and create a tortoise for this. So. And create a tortoise <laughs> to jump in and out of audio dramas. Okay. Very exactly. cool. Very yeah. cool. Well, <laughs> all right. That establishes your your who cred. We, we just had to look at Dawn now. So, so Dawn, <laughs> I have a question for you. Actually, here, I have a question for both of you gentlemen. So who was your first doctor? Because there's a tradition that everyone, because the doctor changes so much, everyone usually has a doctor that for them is the doctor, like the one that represents Doctor Who to them. And it's usually their first one, because usually the first, mm-hmm. the one that is playing the doctor while they're young and they first watch them and think, oh, this is Doctor Who. And then that becomes their doctor. Even if they like other doctors, they always still have their doctor. It's a British tradition that's come mm-hmm. over to, of course, Canadian and Australian and American fans as well. So, so Don, who is your doctor? Well, this is kind of a tricky one uh, because my first one isn't my favorite one. <gasps> Same here. Yeah. Okay, yeah. interestingly enough. Okay. Oh, the first one I ever saw was the third one, which was John Pertwee. Mm-hmm. But my all-time favorite doctor, and I'm going to say this, I want to caveat that the distance between my favorite and least favorite doctors is not that far. Mm -hmm. Like, I actually like all of them. But my favorite by a smidge would probably be Sylvester McCoy. Wow. Yeah, that is quite different. Okay, so you you skipped a couple doctors there. Okay. Mm -hmm. And um, why is Sylvester McCoy your favorite? We're probably going to get more into this, but... He's he's one of, like, the general fandom's least favorites. Mm-hmm. And I think he's one of the guys, because, a- as we'll see, every so many Doctors, like you guys were saying, every new Doctor, they change the show. But every so many of them, because so much time passes, they really try to mix things up. And he came in at one of those points, nobody knew what to do with the show. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. But I liked him. He sort of combined the first two, because Sylvester McCoy... He presented the Doctor almost like a like a clown. He's very mm-hmm. slapstick, very physical comedy. Yes. Mm-hmm. But he's also very sinister. Like, there's an episode where uh, his companion realizes that he was using her as bait to bring the monsters out. And, mm-hmm. and he had that little touch of creepiness that they kind of brought back with, with, uh, with, with the newer ones when they, they, they did the more recent ones. And that's right. what I thought was so interesting about him, that... You had these, it made him truly alien. And that's something mm-hmm. that he's kind of supposed to be because he's not human. And even though he likes humans and associates with them, he's kind of almost the demigod compared yes. to like us mere mortals. 
Mm-hmm. That makes sense. For sure. That, that definitely makes sense. Okay, Jack, how about you? Who is your doctor? Well, first of all, I want to say that you and David Alder are in great company because he feels Sylvester McCoy is, is his doctor as well. So that's kind of wild. And I also want to say, you know, with regards to Sylvester McCoy, ironically, time has not done well with him. He, he just he is the least uh, time has scarred that poor man because, boy, does he look a lot different from when he was Doctor Who? Um, totally unrecognizable now. I similarly, I started off with John Pertwee, quite mm-hmm. enjoyed him. And of course, um, Tom um, Baker quite enjoyed his stuff as well. Um, but I really dug it when uh, my my doctor is the same as David Tennant's doctor that he said out loud if you remember that's a little bit of a hint there yes yes in other words it's peter davidson it's peter davidson that's right yes and and of course there's a show where the two of them are together yes and there's some real sort of almost incestuous stuff between them outside of the camera as well but we can get into that later mm-hmm. on, so. <laughs> yeah we can talk about we'll, we'll we'll leave that for later okay no no that's fair so for why sure. do you like peter davidson so much especially since you actually did start with pertwee and of course uh, tom baker who for many people was the doctor so why why davidson for some reason, I found the plots a lot more comprehensible. Um, <laughs> and I don't know, and, and it could very well be the fact that TVO would bounce between, like, I may not have gotten all the shows in order when I was watching Tom Baker. I, they might have been giving me, you know, replays of stuff that had happened. Um, the John Pertwee ones, I got, I seem to have gotten more coherent stories in those Mm -hmm. um but the tom baker even though i admit that you know i completely get that everybody thinks of him as doctor who like he is the iconic doctor in fact i have a picture that Mm -hmm. my father that i dressed up as tom baker doctor who when i was 16 Uh uh-huh we have evidence (laughs) i still have the scarf my first wife tried to throw it out a thousand times, but I still have it and I still wear it at wintertime. So I think my scarf has outlasted Tom Baker's. <laughs> I will take a physical picture and send it to you so you can see at some okay. point. Because my dad emblazed that picture on a box that he made of of keepsakes. Right. So he emblazed a picture for each of us. And, and of course, there was no dry eye in the house. He gave us this wooden box that he made, emblazed a picture of our childhood on it, and then filled it full of keepsakes that they had all kept from when we were kids and then oh gave God. them to us as a Christmas present. We were all <laughs> sobbing. It was oh, ridiculous. I, I bet, yeah. My parents, by the way, this week, tonight, in fact, is their 61st wedding anniversary. That's Ouch. fantastic. Congratulations yeah. to them. Oh, yeah. Thank you. That is amazing. I will pass them off because you do know them. I have met them. Yes, I have. I've been, fortunate. I've been fortunate enough to, to uh, I got invited up to your creepy lake house. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Actually, I'm kidding. That's folks. another show, Creepy Lake, lake house. Houses. <laughs> I, 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 I'm kidding, folks. It's, they, had an, no. they had an amazing lake house, which unfortunately they don't have anymore. But uh, yeah, they're right. beautiful, beautiful place. They um, still have a place by the lake. So oh, okay. here they're, in Nova but Scotia. Now, but now yeah. it's in Nova Scotia instead of Ontario. Yep. Okay, there we go. That's right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, by the way, since they keep making references to it, and this, is, this podcast, of course, is global, I should probably explain something. TVO keeps popping up. I should explain. Mm, yes. TVO is te- TV Ontario. Okay, all three of us grew up in southwestern Ontario, uh, in Canada, obviously. Um, and TVO is our local provincial public access network, you could call it. It's basically it's publicly funded. There's no commercials on it. It's paid for by the government and donations. And it's similar to PBS down in the United States. Um, mm-hmm. And it basically func- it's 
Yeah. So it's, it's mostly small scale TV programming that was mostly geared towards educational stuff. And for whatever reason, mostly because it was cheap, I suspect, during the 70s, 80s and 90s, they aired a lot of uh, British material as well, including Doctor Who. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, dur- during their and they still do actually, as far as I know, they still air a lot of British oh, nice. drama yeah. and such. The 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 cheaper stuff that they can find anyway. Um, and you guys didn't have, and, and you guys who have PBS didn't have Magic Shadows, so you missed out on that. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And we hosted Magic Shadows. Oh, oh my yeah. god, that was that was amazing. So yes, it yeah, it also had our Magic Shadows as well, which is uh, was a movie um, movie show hosted by a guy named Elwood Yost, which was amazing. Um, whose so, son wrote Speed and a number of other things. He's yes. written. He's he's a Hollywood screenwriter. Christopher producer, Yost. Yep, so. yep. Yeah. Christopher hmm. Yost. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there's a great documentary about Elwi Yost, which I'll link to in the show notes if anyone is curious about it. Well, oh, I haven't seen it. I'd which, love to see it. Yeah. Uh, I believe it's called Magic Shadows, but I'd have to double check. Um, yeah, you can see okay. it. As you can see it on TV. On uh, they had it on TVO. Actually, it aired on TVO, and I believe it might still be up on their site. Okay, I'll link to it in the show notes. You can check it out. Thank you. Um, in any case. Um, okay, enough equivocating. So, my <laughs> doctor, since I probably should... See, I'm actually a little bit torn uh, between them, mm-hmm. but I actually have to agree with Jack, oddly enough. See, mm-hmm. I started Doctor Who with literally... This is this is true. I caught the very last episode of John Pertwee. Like the Planet of the Spiders. I watched wow. the very last episode of his very last serial. And I'm like, what the heck is this? And I was like, what, 12, 11 or 12 years old. And I had no idea what I was, what the heck I was watching. All the, other than it had giant spiders that were on people's backs and controlling them. And ugh, what the heck? And then, and then this Lee and then this weird guy, weird old guy turned into a weird younger guy with a, with a fro. Weird old guy with a fro turned into a younger guy with a fro. And so I'm like, what the heck is this? And then, of course, um, the first, I remember... Doctor Who and the Giant Robot, I think, was they, what they called... No, that was the novelization. It was called just mm-hmm. called Robot, Robot, I think. Yeah. The, yeah, just for the TV show. And so I love you know, giant robots and stuff because I'm already into Godzilla and such. And so the first serial they started involved a robot and then that robot like even grew to giant size. So I was like, oh my God, this is awesome. And so <laughs> I, I loved it. But for some re- Actually, no, I know why. What happened is, is though, I, I fell into the... I watched it for a couple months... And then my parents got worried because I was doing, as, as, they, as they phrase it, a whole lot of couch jumping. Um, <laughs> uh, this, is, this is a uniquely Doctor Who phrase from our era because Tom Baker's stories were very heavily on the horror side. They, mm-hmm, they, right. they were leaning heavily into the hammer horror style that was popular at that time. And it was just a little yeah. bit too scary for young Rob. And so I actually had to stop watching it for my parents forbid me to watch Doctor Who for a while. And then when I was and if little, they just waited a season or two, things would have t- calmed down for you. Yep, they would have. But, <laughs> but and Tom Baker was Doctor Who for about what seven years, if I remember right. Yes, um, he was the seven, longest yeah. at the time. Yeah, yeah. I don't and know if he still is. I think he still is. Yeah, he might be. Anyway, so the key point is is that so I had there was a big gap. And then I came back in towards the end of his. I started watching it because my parents forgot about it and I forgot about it and I stumbled across it again. And so I started watching it. Not too long after I started watching it, it I guess it would have been Tom Baker's last season. And um, so John, so Peter Davidson appeared. And Peter Davidson, in a weird way, became my doctor because of that. Because he was the first doctor who I really watched almost all of his... Basically, who I watched the whole... His whole tenure, basically. Hmm. I watched his entire time there. 
Um, and so to me, you know, his companions and everything, and even Adric, um, was a, <laughs> were actual, like to me, that, that was really amazing. And so I really enjoyed them. So anyway, so yes, I would say that, uh, for my doctor would actually also be Peter Davidson. I, huh. I'm, I'm with you on that, Jack. Um, but again, partly because I skipped Tom Baker, I always saw his beginning and end really. And that was it. Right. Um, anyway. So, okay, so we've already kind of alluded to it. We should probably actually just start going through the Doctors because there have been 13 of them now, and I think the easiest way to organize Doctor Who is to talk about that there are, there are almost 13 different shows, so we should really go through and talk a little bit about each of them, our thoughts on them, and some will be discussed more than others for obvious reasons, but um, I think it's worth talking about, uh, yeah, just talking about Doctor Who in general because that's the topic of the episode. Um, anything before we start going through them? Oh, I, I was just going to add, I think it's funny you mentioned the the, the couch jumping. Uh, mm. Because a bunch of the guys that I met, say, uh, going into university, mm-hmm. none of them watched Doctor Who. And it was because when they were kids at the time that, say, we were getting into it. Like, I got into it mid-70s. And at the time, the same time, they all watched it and it scared them so bad None of them ever watched it again until they were like in their late teens, early twenties. Yep, I'm one of them. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, the couch. Jo- I think that, that that was a common thing for our generation. I think. I think it really was. Because mm-hmm. because you're right. Even the uh, the third guy, like Tom Baker's the fourth one. Mm-hmm. Even the John mm-hmm. Pertwee ones. There were a lot of really creepy, gruesome, scary, scary, scary stuff going. Because that's what I liked about them. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right, Don. And I think one of the things that is really compelling about Doctor Who when they get it right is on one level, he's like really funny and very light and the whole bit, but you he can turn his head and go really dark and really kind of like is this guy going to murder me <laughs> at a moment like and and there's it's a weird kind of twist that they do and it's often like when he's He's often thinking his dark his dark moments often have to do with the worst part of humanity and yeah. how disgusted he is with them. And so when this kind of stuff happens, I think it sort of unnerves you. Like and that's not even mm-hmm. talking about the scary aliens and the and the things that happen with that. It's just the hero himself is not your typical, you know, always good, always doing, you know, always there's some there's some dark things that happen with within Doctor Who. Even even some of his solutions are a little iffy at times. Yeah. Mm. There's also the thing too that's nice about um a British show as opposed to say American shows at the same time that uh they would let things play out logically. So mm-hmm. it wouldn't be the fact that like the doctor would finally catch up with the monster and pull the mask off and it's farmer flanagan and i would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for you time lords he pulls the mask off and it's an alien ball of goo that eats the skeletons of half the people in the room with them and they die painful horrible deaths and it's like oh okay there's consequence here and i think Mm -hmm. like i say north america for kids shows especially at that time Mm -hmm. uh, there, there was no consequence so yeah that's one of the things where i think that doctor who was so shocking for 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 youngsters here because that idea that people could die that idea that bad things would actually happen and they were bad and not just comedic Mm -hmm. that that adds to it too and then like jack was saying you've got the doctor who's typically this kind of like a absent-minded happy-go-lucky guy except for a couple of them 
mm-hmm. in the middle of all of this, and he can fit in. He can deal with it. And yeah, like you guys were both saying, sometimes those solutions are ugly because it's an ugly problem. And it's that dichotomy that made it so interesting, I think. Yeah, I was thinking, too, there's one thing that's been bugging me. It's like one of the things I love about English science fiction is that like like Don was saying, like they, they, they go logically like what would happen about the situation. They have no problem killing people off. I find English science fiction really inventive and but but they don't care necessarily about the quality that you would find on on North America. So you have like science fiction in North America is like more by the numbers. Mm-hmm. But they try to make it more, quote unquote, believable looking with quality and all that stuff like that. And English science fiction is like, look, that's not important. We're going to play with ideas that people don't even think about. It doesn't even matter if it's stuff like um, a Red Dwarf or or Blake 7 or or the Tomorrow. Was it Tomorrow? Tomorrow People. people? The Tomorrow People, right? Yep. All, all of those things, like they're high concept, really interesting. Never, and every time you think you've got it figured out, they'll do a bait and switch on the story for you and really neat ways of doing stuff like that that you don't see. The Prisoner, like it, you can go on and on and on about mm-hmm. some of the great science fictions in English. And that's what I think a lot of people, if you want to get into Doctor Who, be prepared to watch some really awful costuming, some really <laughs> awful shots, some yep. really awful, like low, low budget things, um, especially in the earlier days. And but but you'll walk away with things that you can think about, which I think is neat. Yeah, there there's a catch to that too that I think uh, really plays into Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And uh, remember, Doctor Who was produced by the BBC, and the BBC really kind of, uh, they're the the British equivalent of, of both uh, PBS and the networks. Yes. And the, mm-hmm. they frowned really heavily on things, especially for kids that weren't educational. Right. So something like Doctor Who, uh, historically over its entire run, of the original one anyway, They'd keep cutting the budget. They kept wanting to cancel it because it was seen as fluff. Mm-hmm. So, right. so you get British shows, science fiction is either that, or if you go the other side, you had an ITC Entertainment, which was an, ind- an independent production company. And they were the ones that worked with, say, the Andersons to do something like UFO yep. and Space 1999, which was closer to the American one because they had money and effects. Right. Mm-hmm. But that's the weird thing about British sci-fi is basically those two companies produce most of the shows. And that difference in attitude meant that you were going to get something that either had um, really good production qualities or, ah, look out, it's a monster made out of rubber gloves and a bucket. No. <laughs> and yeah. and there's, there's no in between. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, very cool. But I mean, there was some there's some overlap too because Space 1889 was certainly a lot. I think the Anderson people knew the value of a kind of sense of like uh, suspended disbelief, right? Yeah. Um, and they were really good about that because even their puppetry stuff, you know, if you went with that concept, they tried to go pretty realistic about a lot of the stuff that they did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Space 1889 was the next 
or eighteen. Ne- sorry, nineteen ninety nine. Getting into my role playing days. <laughs> yes, that's a little um, different. But and I think like like a lot of people cut their teeth on things like Doctor Who. Like you get Terry Nation, you get mm-hmm. Douglas Adams, you get a lot of people who started off there and then branched out too. So yeah, yeah. Yep. No, anyway. no. I can I can definitely see that. All right. So let's. So you guys have a, done a good job of discussing uh, Doctor Who's place, I suppose, in uh, giving a little context uh, to answer Jack's other question. Um, mm-hmm. So let's start talking about the Doctors. So, okay, so, Don, since you are the crotchety old man of the group, why don't you tell us about the first, uh, why don't you tell us about the first Doctor? I think I could. As the older person, I appreciate <laughs> you saying that I, <laughs> very much. <laughs> oh, Hell yeah. That's good. (laughs) Yeah. When it comes to Doctor Who, I can quote Doctor Who the way Jack can quote Star Trek. Oh, there you go. That's awesome. (laughs) So uh, the very first Doctor you had was uh, William Hartnell. And the original Doctor's a little weird. He's an old guy. When they do the first Doctor, the idea that he's an alien doesn't come up at all. Mm -hmm. That shows up at the end of, of his run, of his 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 uh, time as Doctor, and it comes up by accident. Because the whole premise is that um, his his granddaughter, Susan, is this weird, super intelligent kid who's completely out of touch, and two of her teachers follow her to the uh, this junkyard where she lives and finds her grandfather, and he gets stuck in his TARDIS and taken... They meet cavemen first off, because the show is supposed to be educational they go to different historical eras and you'd get the story of what happened and then when you get to the second series the fifth episode the mutants terry nation writes it and he throws in the daleks and then that just all goes out the window and the the first doctor is kind of interesting because you can kind of tell they weren't exactly sure what to do with them uh Mm -hmm. there's a lot of inspiration from the tv show uh quartermass Right. Which was this like scientific guy. It it was very like nineteen fifties, if you ever seen like the the adventurer scientists fighting aliens and stuff. It was like that. They kinda went that way. Uh William Hartnell got the gig. He was kind of like an old fashioned actor guy. He was kind of a stickler for uh for different things. The studio didn't want to go too wild. They didn't want to give him the budget. But the show really takes off and, and like I say He's a crotchety old dude. You get this weird whiplash in some of the episodes because sometimes he's actually almost like a friendly grandfather type. And at other times, for instance, there's an episode where he was going to let the two teachers die so that him and his granddaughter could leave. And he, he thought nothing of that because, again, it was that weird sinister thing. And it was it was you had those two forces behind the scenes trying to decide the way the show would go. And the thing that finally, um, that takes them full on into, into sci-fi, let alone the, the aliens is they're, they're fighting the Cybermen, which are basically the Borg. They're the original Borg. Yep. And the doctor gets injured. And this is the first time, like Jack was saying, he regenerates, he turns into someone else. And they did it because the actor, William Hartnell was, he was old and he was getting sick and Mm -hmm. he couldn't play the part. So they're going to replace him. And they thought... The show's starting to get popular. We can't just, you know, what do we do? And that's right. Oh, um, he's an alien. He just turns into somebody else when he dies. Oh, okay, we'll just do that. So (laughs) 
because this 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 ties into with the idea and we've mentioned on the show for different things this is the early 60s 1963 is when the show starts continuity wasn't a big thing and neither was like canon uh people just enjoyed their entertainment for whatever it was they didn't worry about how this tied in with that from 10 years ago or or stuff like that so you were reruns for that matter which is why we lost a lot of stuff too right yeah yeah that's exactly so the first few doctors there's a lot of odd bits like that that fans over the years kind of tried squaring a big one is again the idea of he's got a granddaughter Mm -hmm. she kind of disappears and she doesn't come up until like 40 years later in the show so i have an interesting thought here and i i want your guys opinion on this i think there's all that time there was this weird i don't want to say the word fetish but there was a weird usage of the old crotchety professor as like the main character of stuff do you remember when we were kids they had professor kitzel cartoons kind of yeah and then there was also a university. I remember these on Saturday morning. They had some crazy haired university guy doing like math questions for people. Yeah. And he was an actual university prof as well. And and he was doing this kids show tell and doing all this science stuff at the same time. And then there was like Mr. Wizard and all this kinds of stuff. This idea that this 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 white old science guy was the hero and he was and he always had younger people around him to sort of but he was training them in one way or another to 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 understand science right Mm -hmm. so that's an interesting take yeah because again if you go back to say the 40s or the 50s that was like the era of the two-fisted science even like the pulps just before world war ii that science savage yeah Yeah. that that you were like the schwarzeneggerian muscle fighting kung fu atomic physicist you know biologist astronomer guy right because the the old guy i think it it comes from the idea of einstein yeah yeah because they always got the crazy hair look like them right yeah yeah crazy hair going on so but yeah it's 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 interesting that yeah when you're getting to that time when you're getting near the end of the 50s that scientists again become the like the the old wise man guy instead mm-hmm. of instead of the young hero yes right so well actually i can i can add to something about that so you got to remember that during the 1950s and the early 60s mm-hmm. um you're what you got to think about who had televisions because when television first came out television was expensive right those were expensive things to have so because it was so expensive television tended to be for the upper classes and so and the upper classes wanted they wanted like we'll call it the, you know they wanted basically good quality entertainment and they also wanted educational entertainment for their kids like they saw this tv as a new wonderful tool for educating their kids and the networks were corresponding the networks actually were producing a lot of this stuff and i think this was definitely going on in england as well there was mm-hmm. well england's a little bit different because remember it is bbc who saw their mandate as educating people right um, so there is that, but definitely in the States, no. Uh, so a lot of the early television, no, they actually saw themselves as aiming for a kind of, uh, we'll call it upper middle-class enter- uh, audience because poor people couldn't afford TVs. And it wasn't until we got really into the sixties that your average person, like the average working class person had a TV. And right. it was as that transition happened, they, be- they saw the broad audience becoming, how can I put this less educated? 
And so they began, they began making a shift. And so part of what we saw was them trying to use a TV as an educational tool for these younger, less well-educated children that were growing up. They saw a TV as a tool. So not only do we translate from TV as slightly higher brow quality, but we also get into this idea of Sesame Street's an example of this as well. It's right. an attempt to turn TV into, although that's from the 70s, but still, it was attempted, there are all these attempts to turn television into a way to educate the masses. And Doctor Who, of course, was part of that as well in the, in the UK. Because remember, right. the whole point of Doctor Who was every episode, he and his, um, his coincidentally enough, school teacher... Uh, school teacher uh, companions and his grand young granddaughter would go off to a different historical place and time and they would hang out with different historical figures and they would learn about real history because really that's what the show was right right yeah. yeah so doctor who was an educational show first and foremost back in those days the only trick happened when they started including science fiction elements because sci-fi was popular at the time and of course the audience went wild for them they thought that was awesome yeah. <laughs> so very quickly, Doctor Who, I would say, I don't know how fast the transition was, but I believe it was fairly quick, transited from, you know, being Doctor Who and the Aztecs or Doctor Who and Billy the Kid to um, Doctor Who and the Daleks, basically. Yeah. Uh, and, <laughs> and, and, and Doctor Who and the Cybermen and, th and other characters like that, because that's what, you know, that's what the audience wanted. And, the, and that was suddenly, suddenly the parents were paying attention at that point, too. It's like, oh, that's interesting. And I don't know at what point Doctor Who and the uh, Daleks occurred. Um, do, do either of you know what point in the first Doctor's run did the Daleks it, first appear? It's the second series. So it's like the fifth episode. And, yeah. and the story goes is that Terry Nation wrote it and the uh, producer didn't actually want to film it because they were still stuck in that idea of making it strictly educational. But they didn't have another script done. And that's the only reason they did that episode. <laughs> Right. And not only that, what's the other lore that goes with that episode? Oh, pertaining to a witch. Pertaining to what happened when it aired. Oh, that that's where the idea of watching from behind the couch comes from. Yes, it does. Uh... Uh, the BBC's phone lines were flooded, especially after the <laughs> end of the episode. when Because I think the first Dalek is revealed at the end of the episode. It's kind of like this metal monster thing. Yeah. And people freaked the heck out. Boy, did they freak the heck out. Like, literally, it was almost the... It wasn't quite with the Britain's War of the Worlds event, but it almost came close. Like, mm. people, every, everyone was like, what the hell was that? Blimey! And, um... And so, yeah, the um, so they flooded the BBC. That's all everyone talked about. It was like this huge public event. At least as I've read it, anyway, I wasn't uh -huh. there for it. And um, and then suddenly, Doctor Who had amazing ratings the next week. Yeah, and then they couldn't do any, and that set the tone because again, the higher ups in the BBC hated the show, but couldn't. They tried a few times. It got canceled a lot, but they could never make it go away because it was so popular. And didn't Terry Nation maintain hold on the the the, the Daleks themselves? Like, aren't they? Doesn't he own the Daleks? Like, it's yes. not BBC. They they yeah. they have to now. I think if they want to keep using them in Doctor, they have to have them show up in every series, or else they lose the rights to do so. Yes, yes, that's exactly. Right. Well, he's he's passed, of course. His estate owns them. Yeah, and right. yeah, that's that's part of it. I suspect it's. And this is my just total 
wild, you know, wild guess here. The reason that they make them show up in every series, if they want to keep the rights, is to force the a force the BBC to use them in some form, and right. b because they're making money off all the merchandising. Oh yeah, it's so that it's literally to force the BBC to advertise the stuff that they make money from. That's why that rider is there. It's so popular. I think there was like a, a Dalek Christmas album at one point too. Like it was just crazy them, well, the, them singing Christmas carols. There, <laughs> there's there's a but that comes up. That'll come up with the third Doctor. That there's there's right. there's right. kind of a weird yep. catch to that with the third Doctor. Okay. Yes, so, there is. Yes, there is. But didn't need to bounce. There we go. Oh okay, no, 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 no problem. That, that's what this. We're we're kind of uh, you know. Free going through about time the and doctor. space is what going we're through doing. time and space. There we go. <laughs> we're jumping around through time and space. How appropriate! That's All right. Weird. So um, the second, uh, you know, okay. So the first Doctor, then of course, you know. So what do you think about the portrayal of the first Doctor, Don? Did you talk much about how you know how he's portrayed and how he comes across as like a, a an angry, devious old man? Yep. <laughs> yes. Okay, that's good because I remember you in some emails refer to him as evil. Oh yeah, yeah we. We were discussing that that at one there there's an episode where he's willing to let the uh let Ian and Barbara die just so him and his granddaughter can get away. <laughs> yeah, the granddaughter seems to be the only one that he is really cares about. Yeah. That mm-hmm. you can see. All right. Even though he's crotchety with her, there is genuine uh sentiment for her. But other people, he could care less. Yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. Yep. Which is not entirely unreasonable. I mean, you know, the, nope. there's these two, there's know. these two stowaways who are in the way, and in fact, he has to choose between his granddaughter and those two stowaways. Well, you know, <laughs> that that's the way it goes. All right. So speaking of stowaways, so I guess we should move to the second doctor then. So Jack, tell us about the second doctor. Patrick Troughton is, is strangely enough some people's favorites, and I think that's just sort of, sort of affectation, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> I mean, he's there's some people like, well, Patrick Troughton is my doctor. I'm like. Who are you kidding? You weren't even born then. <laughs> you, you know, like, it's like, there's no way. But to be fair, I think, um, and I haven't seen a lot of the Patrick Troughton, so I can't speak to too many of them. But mm-hmm. I think that that's when they started to really start to focus on things that that became like tent posts of exactly what mm-hmm. Doctor Who is. They started mm-hmm. to look at more at the Time Lord aspect. They started, as we said, they brought in the Daleks. We started to get more of the lore that's going on. There's like a whole segment of him playing the flute, which is a weird thing. Am I wrong about that, Don? Or is no, it, he, was that a fevered dream? Or no, he <laughs> he he it, he plays it. He plays. The, it's not even a flute; it's a recorder, which makes it worse. It's but, a recorder. That's right. Yeah, he, that's it. A recorder. He, yeah. he he plays it constantly because he was. Um, he's the opposite of the first guy. Like he's kind of like a clownish goofball. Mm-hmm. Right. And he's cowardly. Or at least he and, plays the clownish goofball. Yeah, that's right. I mean, every now and then, going back to the whole Doctor points that's come up a couple of times, every now and then you suddenly realize, wait, no, he's playing the fool. He isn't the fool. And he can can also be an evil old man if he wants to be. Oh, my God. I just had a beautiful idea for somehow incorporating this into my Doctor Who series. Um, Mm -hmm. But Doctor Who is effectively the trickster figure. Mm-hmm. Yes, he is. Yeah, some of he them really is. <laughs> so you could, I mean, some of them. You're right. Some of them are more so than others. But the fact is, is the trickster figure mm. is can be lighthearted and it can be really freaking dangerous. Yes. And so if yep. if you had a storyline that somehow 
suggested, even just suggested that Doctor was around in all these various different cultures as a various different trickster figure. That would be a very cool addition because they love doing that, right? Mm. They love making sure that the Doctor, who can go through anywhere in time and space to any planet of all time, somehow involves himself in every major element in history in 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 uh, Terra in Earth. It's right. amazing how he gets around. Yeah. Anyway. Yep. No, no, no. You're right. He would be Loki. He'd be the Raven. He yep. would be Coyote. Um, yep. Coyote. Yeah, yeah. Yep. There we go. An- Anansi. Uh, yep. Yeah. He would be many. He, yeah. You would. You could possibly make an argument there that he is the trickster god from all the different cultures. Mm-hmm. For sure. You could make a very good argument for that, and, and you could make an argument that they some a story could could pop up that they want to they want to trap him for one reason or another. Either they're really ticked off with him, or they're looking for favor. So, you know. <laughs> well, there we go. Uh, oh yeah, no, no, that's it's that's, writing itself as we saw. <laughs> it, it, it is. It absolutely is because, and of all the doctors, I would say the second doctor was definitely the most trickster doctor. I would say for he sure. was the most. Yeah. He was the yeah. uh, of the classics, definitely. Anyway, he's the trickster god. And, For sure. uh, you know, he, he plays the fool, but he's definitely not. And he yep. kind of goes through. And um, as as you said, he brings in Jack. He, he brings in a lot of the science fiction elements that they were kind of there with the first Doctor. But like the Cybermen, I believe, come with the second Doctor, if I recall right. Right. They're, and they're in um, the middle. Because the, the, la- the last episode of the first Doctor is the introduction of the Cybermen. That's oh, right. Okay, there we go. Yeah. Okay, so sorry, it's been it's been a while again. But boy, um, did I they look ugly! Life. Those first Cybermen, they kind of yeah. looked like mummies with uh, with you know headphones taped to their heads. Yeah, but- it was they were they were not a good look. It took a while for them to get the right look for the Cybermen, but when they did, I think it was like was it four that that Cybermen really became scary, scary. They, yes. Yeah, they kind of. When you get to like the twos and the threes, they kind of because the first ones again, it's an idea of no budget, so they're basically. Um, they're guys in ski masks with like minor lamps on their head. That's yeah. right. That, yeah. That's like literally that's what they described them. And, yeah, silver ski masks. Yeah, yeah, that's them. And they have these these they hadn't quite got the sound, so they have these like really weird kind of like high pitched buzzing sort of voices with odd mm-hmm. like improper inflection. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and it's the idea because when you do look at the second guy, like Jack was saying, mm-hmm. there's a billion things that that become that like the 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 conventions for doctor who not just with the monsters but the way things are done the way they do companions for example yeah really gets developed that way too yeah yeah sure because that's where they they start becoming actually part of the team like with the first guy a lot of them were kind of uh they were hangers on and you got the impression a lot of them were supposed to be uh the audience view character Mm-hmm. That they were, yeah, the, yeah, of course they were, yeah, and yeah. they they, they were, were Watson, Doctor Watson, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and they which were, is oh. again, I would argue, especially John Pertwee. John Pertwee to me was a like a fifty fifty mix between um, Sherlock Holmes and James Bond. Yep, they don't mention that a lot, but he is very much influenced by James Bond. He's the only one that I think has a James Bond sort of flair to him. But anyway. Yeah. Okay, well, I guess we're we were on to the third one as well. So, okay, he actually also <laughs> described the third one nicely for us. And yes, I would agree with that. And and as far as I know, that was kind of the thing. You know, they were in the midst of spy fever at the time, and mm-hmm. so they wanted to do something that was. And they also, for I think it was for, because of the spy fever and maybe also for budgetary reasons, they decided, okay, we're gonna the whole shtick was John Pertwee's character, 
of the doctor is mm-hmm. that he gets stuck on earth. Yeah. Basically the time Lords get pissed at him. And so they basically disable his TARDIS and mm-hmm. say, okay, you're going to hang around on earth for a while. And so he ends up joining an organization called unit, which is the United Nations something task force. I intelligence. Remember, I stands, intelligence task force. Right. Um, and so he joins up with unit and basically becomes kind of this super secret agent fighting uh, more or less alien invaders that are kind of right. trying, trying to infiltrate Earth and do no, all, no. Kinds, all kinds of weird stuff. Do yep. you know why? And maybe Don knows why clearly, because I can't remember if I ever understood exactly what he did to get himself exiled to Earth with the Time Lords, like what it was that he ticked them off specifically. <clears throat> what was it? There was a thing, because the idea of the Time Lords gets introduced at the very end of the run with the second Doctor. Yeah, because mm-hmm. remember, we, he's an alien, but we don't get a lot of background because during that run, you find another one of his people. Mm-hmm. And that was right. the uh, that was the uh, the the war boss, uh, uh, right. the the uh, the war chief, war chief. Yeah, it was war chief. War yeah. Chief. yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was a renegade. Not to be confused with the war doctor. I just want to point. That yeah. Out. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Yeah. But the the war chief was another time lord. Now the the first guy ran into a dude they called the monk. Yes, he was another time traveler. But they didn't get into who the monk was or why he was going around in time screwing things up. He was an evil doctor, but they didn't get into it. Mm-hmm. What happens is the with the story of the war games mm-hmm. in the uh, at the, the which is the last one with the second guy. The Time Lords intervene because the, the the War Chief has been using Sidrat technology, which is kind of a lesser um, a lesser TARDIS, to help this this like intergalactic warlord build an army of the greatest soldiers of all time. Mm-hmm. And the Time Lords step in. Um, I forget what exactly it was that the Doctor did, but because they they the Doctor jumped through time, also messing with it, and they frowned upon that. Mm-hmm. And I believe that's what it was, is that they introduced the idea that the Doctor was actually on the run from the Time Lords. Ah, okay. And you never you never see them. All that ends up happening is he's in, like, a room, and I can't remember if it was a voice or if it was just, like, a noise that he was talking to. And they forced him to regenerate, and they wrecked his TARDIS, and they trapped him on Earth. Because... yes. Because there's a scene where they're trying to get him to pick his new body and he's just pissed off at all of them. And this is why the second and the third Doctor canonically hate each other. And it's because it was a forced transition and they never... Each one thinks the other one is is like... The second thinks the third is a pompous ass. The third thinks the second is a goofball. Yeah. Until they yeah. all met Tom Baker and he... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. He was a pompous ass Nob- goofball. Nobody yeah. out pompous is Tom Baker. <laughs> That's very true. Oh, I don't know. Colin Baker. Get, uh, Colin Baker did a pretty good job. Did he good job of that? Yeah, yeah. I don't being know pompous, much about Colin being Baker. Ass. Yeah, he there's, did. Yeah. There's yeah, a, there you go. There's a catch to him. Yeah, because what you guys said with the third guy. Now the the third Doctor. A couple things happen because, like you guys were saying, he's very James Bond. Right. Because this is the era of the super spy. And what you're seeing at that point is they're they're willing the doctor up until him was its own isolated thing. Now they're willing to 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 take in trends mm-hmm. because yeah. the, they've kind of come to terms with the doctor being popular and expanding it. Because the third doctor is the point where you actually start to see marketing of the character. 
Yes. He, and he's got a cool car. He's got two. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. He's got two. That's he, right. I forgot about that. Because yeah, he brought his own in there, too, didn't he? Yeah, 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 he did. The actor had his own, yeah. yeah he, he's got Betsy and he's got the Who-mobile. That's yes. right. Yeah. Which is what well, they called it. <laughs> yeah, they called it that. Although I think it's only seen in like one or two episodes. It's, it's like very briefly in the show. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, Betsy's in it a lot, but Who-mobile is yes. very briefly in the show. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I wrote. I only remember Betsy myself for that reason, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, also, this is the point where they start introducing uh, more proactive companions. Yeah. Because um, remember, the second, I believe Liz Shaw is his first companion. Yes, yeah. Liz Shaw is the third Doctor's first companion. And she's portrayed as a unit scientist. Yeah. And so she's not shown as just being, you know, a screamer like like Susan and many of the other companions before, male and female. Um, before she's actually meant to be kind of be his, like his more of his partner rather yeah. than his, uh, you know, just a- asking a, a, the useful idiot, basically. <laughs> I, th- I think you're right. And I think what ends up happening, why they did that is because the second doctor had Jamie McCrimmon as one of his companions yes. and Jamie was more of an action hero and he was crazy popular. And I'm thinking, yes, like you say. The, oh, the, I never thought of that. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't until Rob mentioned that. Yeah, the third guy's companions—they're all active. Like they're part yeah. of the team. They're most of them are like almost here. Like they're heroes in their own right. And I think it's because yeah, that idea because the brigadier and everything. Yeah, yeah. Because yep. the second doctor when when the action started mostly just hid behind Jamie, like literally in a lot yes. of episodes. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Right. Well, that makes sense. He's a Scotsman. um so so yeah no no and so the second third doctor's companions definitely they were the first um and speaking of marketing of course the the actress whose name escapes me who played liz shaw famously actually there is a semi there's a nude photo shoot of her and daleks yeah oh my god that was no no there is actually they did the equivalent to a playboy shoot of her naked with daleks yeah that's hilarious yeah, it's from for some British magazine. You can find them online if you want to see, if you want to check the picture. It's her draped over Daleks in various you know you know for in various uh, positions. Anyway, but um, not that there's anything phallic about the Daleks. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Um, but but that just goes to show you know how deeply Doctor Who was part of popular culture at that point. For sure. Yeah. Like you know, so she was clearly, or at least trying to be, a sex symbol at the, at that point. Yeah, that's and amazing. it's and it's interesting how she, who was clearly more assertive, etc., was eventually replaced by Sarah Jane, mm-hmm. who of course yes. um, was very much the girl next door, very innocent, so, very. Um, oh, you're and yes. probably one of the most popular uh, Doctor Who companions of all time. Yeah, yeah easily. easily. Yeah, actually, you're you're missing you're missing uh, Joe. Did I miss one? Yeah, Joe Grant. Oh, I miss Joe. Yes, you're right. Yeah, because she was the Wait, one. Or was it Joe that appeared nude? I'm trying to remember whether it was Joe or Liz that, that did the nude photo shoot. Let me double check. Yeah, it was it was one because because <laughs> Joe was the one that 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 she was kind of more of the uh, the kind of introverted uh, like like kind of person because she was notorious that her clumsiness ended up saving the day more often than not. Because <laughs> Sarah Jane Smith was incredibly assertive. Yes, she right. was. Yeah, for not being a scientist or anything like that. Yeah, she was just she was a reporter. Yes, it was Joe that had the. It was Joe yeah. that had the uh, nude photo shoot. Yes, Katie Manning was her name, who played Joe Grant. Yes, 
and she's got the the nude photo pictures. If you just type in Doctor Who nude photo shoot, you'll find them in Google. <laughs> oh, yeah. if, if you will find them right. The top thing that comes up is uh, is they're her and the Daleks. Hilarious. They're hilarious. Yeah. And that's not a that's not a Photoshop. Those are no. actual. That's that's from a real photo shoot. Yeah. Pre-internet rule thirty-four. Yeah. Jeez. Yep. Yeah. Watch where you put that plumber. Uh, plumber's <laughs> helper, please. Exactly. Just want to point that out there. There you go. <laughs> yep, that's that's okay. So that there we go. Um, Amy that's... Amy Pond needs to up it one more and and have a shoot with the Cybermen. That's all I need to say right now. <laughs> yep, there we go. Okay, uh, enough sexism for the uh, episode. Then there you go. Um, it is. The, although, actually, we are in the sixties, so sixty, so that counts. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, that's very true. That's very true. It, 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 it does count. We just have to Actually, be smoking yeah. while we're doing it. Yep. <laughs> yeah, well, although, you know, I did do remember and did know because I was doing some uh, checking back for some... The, some reviews and other things on YouTube about Doctor Who. I did forget actually. The there is a certain point where a lot of the female characters really kind of do become cheesecake, and I think this is kind of it. I think they were kind of from the beginning, but sure. yeah, there's definitely a good run of Doctor Who there in the let's let's say the seventies, even well into the eighties, where the female companions are definitely there for the cheesecake. And many uh, of them leave because they realize that you know they yeah, realize yeah. they're not getting a lot right for, yeah, out of yeah, the show exactly. for that reason yeah well, yep. you, yeah and that's tr- quite fairly oh, yeah Tegan. they, they leave. Yeah, but, oh Tegan you sweetheart you <laughs> but you know why uh, that happens hmm? you know if if you look it happens basically like um, every five to eight years and I think again it's because and we're coming up to this the, it's it's one of those things that. Like we've said before, you get the the audience when they're kids, you kind of mm, age yeah. up with them. And then when they get to a certain age, you have to decide, am I going to keep going and do mature grown-up stories or am I going to reset and start doing kid stuff again? And I think right. that's one of the reasons why that you'll see every, like, say, five years or so, you'll get a companion who is just there for the cleavage kind of thing. Yes. Because that's when it's starting to age up, and then you're making that decision. Are we going to try to hang on to them as teenagers, or are we going to try to bring in a new crop of kids? And that makes sense. Nope, that that makes total sense. Um, So, yeah, so every now and then they they let Doctor Who become a little more mature. And actually, and I would argue that the third Doctor, second Doctor too, but definitely the third Doctor was aimed at a general audience. Like, that was absolutely, you know, your family viewing, I guess you could say, again yes. for the parents and for the kids, mm-hmm. um, for sure. And that's one of the reasons why the third Doctor they tried to keep it like they, you know, they had the sci-fi horror elements to it, but yeah, it was a little more super spy-ish than horror-ish, basically, whenever they could, anyway. Yeah. He, mm-hmm. and in fact, actually, I think he's the only Doctor that actually know that is presented as being knowing martial arts. Yeah. Um, Venetian Akito. Yep. And uh, could actually uh, actually would fight enemies. Like he would literally fight them. Yep. I think he's the only doctor. I think he's yep. the only doctor except actually, yeah, he's the only doctor would engage in hand to hand combat, like of all of them. Mm-hmm. He was certainly the first. Uh, yeah, you're right. I think everybody else has run away more than anything else. Right? <laughs> <laughs> no, and that, that he's the only doctor they did that with. And I think they ended up deciding that they didn't either, who knows, they didn't like it or. 
for whatever reason, it's probably yeah. dangerous too, right? You know, like yeah. that. You got a you got a whole insurance issue there every time you s- set up a fight scene, right? Well, so. actually, the stunts, and they still have Doctor Who do stunts. That's that's right. the dangerous thing. But the, you're right; there's the fight scene element to it and such. Yeah, because remember, everything's being done very stagey back then too. Yeah, because right. he 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 used a sword too in a couple episodes, as I recall. Yes, yes he, he did. did. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, he was definitely the, and um, I, you know, I saw, I didn't see him because I saw the end of, of course, of his, his run as my first episode, but I didn't actually see him until I went to university. And when I was living in Windsor, um, where of course you were, Don, mm-hmm. and uh, we, they used to show them on PBS on Saturday nights, but yeah. they would show them as um, on the local Detroit PBS station effectively as movies yeah like every saturday night they would show a serial but they would all be edited together as just one movie basically oh that's so much nicer mm-hmm. yeah yeah so that's i got so... to see all of his as yeah these films we i would stay up with um my friend dave who was my roommate at the time and we would watch every saturday night we because they, they showed them like midnight i think midnight or maybe eleven thirty or something like yeah. that were you at university and, of windsor is that why you yep. were there or yep. okay yeah you, i went i got my first degree from the university of windsor yep, that's exactly that's where i Very met cool. don as well oh, cool yeah. Okay, um, and I'm a, I'm in a Windsor Windsor alumni, and uh, so yeah, we would sit there and we yeah I know <laughs> sorry, uh, and we would so we would uh, watch Doctor Who, and that was that was our big thing. We would wa- we would watch Doctor Who, and that and the problem was of course some of his series were actually kind of long. So if you started at midnight, sometimes we'd be there till like three a.m. watching Doctor Who. It's like oh god, when's it going to end? Um, <laughs> I always wondered though. This is a weird question. I always had. You won't have the answer, but I always wondered if they sold them as a package PBS as movies for them to air that way, or if the local Detroit PBS station had actually had someone go through and just cut out, cut out the openings and endings for each episode and just strung them together themselves. I I seem to recall that uh, I think they were repackaged. Right. And so, so it was a package thing. Yeah, because mm-hmm. what used to happen, say, like, I started watching, it would have been around 1976. Mm-hmm. 76, 77. And what they would do is uh, TV Ontario, I believe it was Thursday evening, would show one half-hour segment. Yes. And they were showing the third guy. And then PBS, I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday night, would show a half hour segment and they were doing the Tom Baker ones because they were they were getting the newer ones. Right. And then at some point around 1980, 81, because we lived on Alan Crescent at the time, is when mm-hmm. PBS would start putting them together. Right. And I think it was a package thing because um because I, I it it was it was uh oh, there was something I read about that that I, I don't think it was PBS chopping them up. I think they started selling them because that's the point. Early 80s is when Doctor Who starts taking off like in North America and and other places. Makes sense, yeah. And I think they were doing that to sell them to like the Americans because they could do them as movies. And uh, PBS would show them Saturday afternoons as a film. And then they started doing them uh, towards when I was in high school. So around Mm -hmm. 85, they started what you were saying that like Saturday night or Sunday night, they would show them at like midnight. And and show the the whole thing as a movie, but I think that was specifically done for the uh, mm-hmm. for like the American audience. No, that makes sense. Be surprised too, because remember they're shot on an entirely different um, uh, uh, television 
frame. Like I mm-hmm. remember yeah. being yeah. in England watching Doctor Who and watching the Tom Baker when I was in England. Wow. Uh, with in the summertime, we were visiting some some family members. That was a really traumatic experience. I want to point out, but um, to, not the entire trip, just that day of visiting a family member because the poor woman was was completely off off her rocker. She was so drunk that oh. um, and and she was like married to my second cousin or something like that. And she, I was very young, never seen anything like that before. And the father was called him, and he brought, came home. And my I remember my dad and and him like carrying this poor woman upstairs because she was just completely sauced and on the tv we were that was just like just keep watching tv and we were watching like doctor who and so i was watching tom baker thinking that the the frames are so pristine because i forget Mm -hmm. what the frame rate is but it's different it's a different size screen so i'm sure they had to do some kind of conversion change conversion for that so while they're doing that it wouldn't be too much of a difficulty to cut things i think at that point yeah because yeah british stuff is filmed in a pal format Yes, which right. it has. I can't remember. It's it. It's. Uh, I think it's a slightly longer frame count. Yeah. So it's a little bit faster, and that's why if you if you try to play something in a PAL format, yep. If it's digital, the sound will go out of sync, or everybody will sound kind of like Alvin and the Chipmunks. Oh wow! Yeah. I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay, so PAL format is 25 frames per second, and it's uh, 625 interlaced lines, okay? okay. NSTC is 525, inter- 525 interface lines, so 100 less, and it's 29 frames per second. Okay. So they actually, it's basically a higher resolution, but they're actually, PAL is actually less frames per second, believe it or not, than NSTC wow. is. Okay. NSTC is what we use. Yeah. Right, right. Um, then there's uh, SECAM, which is S-C-K-C-A-M, which is a 625, the same as PAL, but and 25 frames per second. Yeah. So those are the three standards that were used worldwide, or maybe still are. I have no idea. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. they kind of are. Um, I think, yeah, they kind of, yeah. But thanks to digital, it doesn't really matter that much anymore. So it's not as big a deal. But, okay. um, but anyway, so yeah, that's weird that NSTC, because I, I, I always thought, yeah, I was thought Pal had a higher frame rate too, but no, they just have more detail, but they have less, but they have a slower frame rate. And that's weird. Well, that's why it's faster because it plays at the. Uh, if you play something Pal, it'll try playing at our frame rate, Tw- at our twenty nine frames yeah. per second. And yeah, so it'll come off as it'll speed it up. Yeah, it'll do. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. Cool. So, so there you go. So, yes. So the third doctor was interesting. And to be honest, I have been watched in, you know, I didn't see him until university. So I have slightly different feelings about, it, but, but yeah, I actually really liked the third doctor. He was Me actually too. pretty cool. Yeah. He was a yeah. cool guy. Yeah, he yeah. was. And I liked the whole James Bond shtick and adventures. It had a very, um, again, it's very sixties. Like it's a very, yeah. very, it's very sixties. Sure. Um, Surprisingly and, but, Austin Powers in retrospect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he, 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 Austin Powers is the only one who pulls off the same look now. They were <laughs> And I always thought that it was interesting that Pertwee was actually a comic actor. He was a comedian and comic yes. actor. Yeah. Right. And so when he came into the role, he played serious and people didn't know whether he could do it or not, but he actually did it very well. And in fact, yeah. it was the fact that he had that timing and that style that actually kind of led him, it gave his doctor some flair and made it interesting to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then don't forget the other big thing that happens during the third doctor. Which is? 
Remember that they introduced uh you mentioned Lethbridge Stewart and this <clears> is this is where they introduced the master. Oh yes, right. I forgot about that. Right. Yes. Yes. Um I th- although I think there might have been some attempt at retconning that the monk was also the master or something like that, but I'm not sure if yep. that's correct or just fan yeah. stuff I heard once. But anyway, whatever. That that'll um, we'll get to that when we get to the fourth guy cuz cuz you're right there was an attempt to 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 claim that the monk was an earlier incarnation of the master and mm-hmm. it could be it came out actually it came out um in the 80s uh fasta did a role-playing game right oh, oh okay. that's yeah, where it came i don't from. remember it happening in the actual show yeah no the role-playing game added a lot of continuity that officially they've kind of picked and choose from because it's a game you have to sort of uh explain a lot of stuff because you want you don't need the stories to be as solid as the setting because the participants are telling their own story. Mm, right. Yeah, so they tried fleshing it out because there's some problems with the timeline about when when is is unit active, like when do the unit episodes take place? And then right. and there was the idea of the monk. They actually added to the uh, game added the uh, Celestial Intervention Agency. Right. Which is a group of renegade time lords that the doctor is kind of sort of a member of that they emulate him that they go out and try to fix problems with the timeline which is what the premise of the role-playing game was is your character is one of them right and right references to that to to the uh celestial intervention agency like kind of backhanded in passing ones have popped up over the years with the re like the newer doctor who's they've been a couple of references to that Right. Oh really? So it's okay. one, it's one of those things. Yeah. It's an Easter egg, but it kind of almost sort of makes it canon. But that's uh, at this point in time with the third Doctor when you're getting early seventies. Like I said, this is when the merchandising starts, mm-hmm. and this is when the canon for the setting it starts getting fleshed out. But it starts getting weird because they did things like um, shoot, it was a uh, TV twenty one, I believe, was the the, the comic magazine. That mm-hmm. did Doctor Who stories. So you're starting to get um, stories that aren't part of the TV show. Uh, this is where they did the, um, the the Dalek comics that got into the whole history of the Daleks and added different things to the Daleks that, again, uh, got picked and chosen over for official mm-hmm. releases. But fans at the time remember, because we've talked about this with, uh, I believe, the Two Fellows that came on to talk about British comics, both mentioned it because those Dalek comics made a mm-hmm. huge impact on fandom of the time. Right. And, and again, this is where that's starting to the doctor who is starting to take off. So you're seeing that you're seeing this expansion of, of the concepts. Um, what you're going to get around this time too, at the end of the seventies is uh, Marvel comics. UK does mm-hmm. the uh, doctor who weekly comic, uh, comic. Right. Magazine. Yes. And it, yeah. it does what uh, TV21 and TV21 became something else uh, just before. But it continues that idea that they start doing stories. And when they do that at the end of the 70s uh, with the Marvel, the Marvel Comics Doctor Who Weekly, they add companions. They add uh, new stories, new monsters, new continuity. They would do backstories with monsters. So they would do a story with, say, the Daemons. That mm-hmm. the, the Doctor wouldn't be in it. It would just be about the daemons. Um, that's the era of uh, Absalom Dak. The Dalek right. killer comes out. Of, and that's, yep. that's where the theme song comes from. The Absalom Dak theme song. Um, mm-hmm. 
It's it's. I want to point out that this entire that the, the whole Loki miniseries they had, I was completely unimpressed because I'm like, oh my god, this has been done so much by Doctor Who. Who are you kidding? Yeah, yeah, like this, yeah this idea right. that you have a group of people. Like, and I heard people like, oh, what a really clever idea. I'm like, you've never watched Doctor Who, have you? Because ninety yes. percent of the stuff that comes out in science fiction and such has either been done by Red Dwarf or done <laughs> by Doctor Who. You know, it's it it is because. There's another, oh, there's another, this weird monster that I heard is coming mm-hmm. back. The, they're going to be using it in the new Doctor Who comes out of the comics magazine. It's this little, little like a uh, big eyed fuzzball thing that it's super cute. And it turns out that it's an evil warlord. And I heard they're, they're actually putting that into the TV show. But again, it, oh, sweet. it comes out of this era because like I say, the time of the third Doctor is when it really, the first time it really starts to blow up. Right. Which is amazing because so much of the show happens on Earth. Like it's uh-huh. I, he's not doing so much. The third doctor is not anywhere near. It's near the end, right? That he, that he's sort of been allowed to. And of course, it's all budgetary reasons. That's the yeah. reason why they have him on Earth. I don't think there's any other particular reason why other than that that they have to save money because it it's so costly at this point. Yeah, I I think you're right that that was uh cuz they they blew the budget uh all those like monsters that they introduced during the 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 time of the second guy cost a lot of money Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so like when they added the macrons the macrons are like like vw bus size crabs so you had to build these like giant crab puppets and that and that would be expensive because again oh yeah remember the bbc wasn't happy about this show now when you get to the third guy i think they started lightening up because again the marketing the money this is what rob was getting at comes up Mm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. It kind of comes and goes depending on who's running the beep at the time, but yeah, this is when you're you're kind of you're you're kind of starting to 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 see them loosening up again as they get like you were saying near the end of the uh... oh yeah because he does he does go to different planets during like the last season because that's the uh, oh you know, no he does the curse of Peladon and that yeah no no what happens is if I remember right the first season he's basically almost entirely on Earth because Pertwee is run for three seasons if I remember right second yeah. second season he's stuck for the first couple episodes and then they're, and then they're like okay fine you can go and he just basically hops in the, because they they discovered they they just want to start having more fantastic adventures again oh and so he go he jumps back and forth basically between earth and uh, for most of the serials for the rest of his time yeah because they introduced if i remember correctly they introduce a character that starts giving him missions it, it's like a guy in, that he meets him on the beach at one point are you talking about the white guardian and, no no that comes later well this is what i mean it's this character that they never quite explain because another fan theory is that this was the white guardian who comes mm-hmm. up in a, in a few years by name but again it's this idea of of it's like the the meddling monk thing is it's this character because again continuity is still not a huge thing it's kind of starting to be but they'll just throw in whatever they think is cool so you get all these weird throwaway things that should be important and sort of become important years later as people try to fit them in but yeah i think because that was it because mm. they did as i recall that they did kind of start giving him missions yes yeah, yeah. But it was not. It wasn't like he was free to go. It, these were very directed missions. Yeah, and then he was supposed to go back to Earth for that reason. You're right. Um, You're right. I think. Yeah, I think that he did literally. He didn't have control of the TARDIS. They were basically like, okay, and now your TARDIS is going here. <laughs> and, yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah. 
And so that was their way to kind of keep him under control or keep him from just gallivanting across the galaxy, at least for the second, his second season. I think Pertwee's third, he actually did have control of the TARDIS at that point or something like right. it. Yeah. And because they, they eventually gave him back because he did travel around a bit. Yeah. Um, right. And so he kind of, he slowly worked. So he started as James Bond, but then he slowly worked back into classic who by the end, pretty much. Yeah, it was more it was more designed to control the director's uses of money than anything yeah. else. <laughs> I think that's that's the case for a lot of Doctor Who. Yeah, we can for remember sure. they were basically being done by BBC's theatrical production. They, they're of basically course. theatrical productions. Yeah. Um, yes. I saw a reference. This is from uh, Colin Baker. It was during his time. I don't know if uh, this applied to the other times, but I suspect it did mm-hmm. where when they filmed these. Um, they were filming the, so they had a seven day filming. They basically set up seven days. Okay. They spent five days rehearsing and then they actually just filmed in two days. Yeah. Wow. No, uh, it was, it was they basically treated it as a stage. That play. sounds like a, five. yeah, that's a stage pre- presentation style of doing yep. things, right? Yeah. Yep. It's yep. just like, we're going to, we're going to do it as if, as if we're doing it in front of a studio audience right now. Kind yep. of thing. So, yeah. Yep. yep. Even though they, they didn't would have do a that for audience. sitcoms, oh, exactly. Yeah. They would do that for sitcoms, even to this day. If they had a live studio audience, that's sort of that. That's the style of what you do for an actual performance, not yep. for something that's supposed to be you know, <laughs> closed set, right? So, yep. It um, wasn't until later. Yeah. In fact, it might not even been until Colin Baker's period, I believe, or just slightly after it, that they switched. I think Sylvester McCoy, when they actually switched to doing it um, more cinematically, where you know they would just divide it up and shoot it out of sequence, like they do, like we do today. And like Americans do. Right. But yeah. no, the Brits were still doing it filmically back then. And, and they didn't have a lot of budget. Wow. So they just worked with what they had. And yep. what they had was very <laughs> simple often. But they, but you know, it, it kind of works if you're going to suspend your disbelief. Yeah, my, my, For sure. my, my joke about the, uh, the, the monster mirror rubber gloves in a bucket, that's not a joke. That's in one of the episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it is. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At yeah. least one. Yeah. <laughs> At least, or more than one. There's, yeah. there's, there's one in particular, you've seen it, that it's got like bug eyes and yep. fangs that stick straight out. Now, to be fair in the story, that's not an actual monster. That's a Scooby Doo thing. It's a guy pretending to be a monster to, Get right. everybody away, but no, it literally is just a monster made out of rubber gloves in a bucket. <laughs> Jesus, man. Yep, yep, <laughs> yep. Speaking of which, uh, since we're talking about monsters, let's get to Tom Baker, the fourth dog. So, um, no, no, I'm not saying he's a monster. I'm not saying he's a monster. I mean, okay, maybe clarification might say needed. <laughs> Um, although apparently by the t- by the end of his production run, he kind of was apparently a bit of a monster on set. Tom Baker was a very <laughs> dominating personality, mm-hmm. uh, oh, the least. and a strange human being. <laughs> like, he's a very weird guy. Really, some of the stuff, the stories, I can't even remember all the stories. But you hear them, and you're like, no, no, he didn't do that. <laughs> like, you know. No, he totally did it. Yeah. He's kind of calm down. He's still alive with us right now, isn't he? Oh, yeah, he's, he's still, still around. around. And he's been doing a lot of audio drama lately, and I think he's kind of calmed down a whole lot. So mm-hmm. Yes, yes, in his, in, in his old age, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. you know, he, when he was a young man, he was definitely... It'd be fun to watch. I haven't watched any interviews with him. I should see if I can track down some because... Oh, that would be amazing. He's... <laughs> yeah, he's quite He's quite the character. He was He was quite the character, and... And so when he came to Doctor... He and Doctor Who, I think, were a match made in heaven. I think they really were. 
Really or hell, hard. depending on your point of view. Um, <laughs> he had an amazing can... voice. Like, yeah, let's be did. honest. His voice is just like butter, right? Mm-hmm. And so whenever he could say a particular Doctor Who style line, it just worked out so well, right? They, yeah. Um, yeah, he, and he had a great way of, of not even just, not even just the tenor of his voice, but of delivering lines that other people in anybody else's mouth would have been absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> he knew how to be able to sell it a whole lot better. And I think that's why it became, he became, like you said, an iconic image of what people think of when they think of Doctor Who. Yeah. I mean, if you were to ask someone, especially of our generation or even pretty much any who, who, let's say was around was born in the 70s or whatever at least by the 70s or or whoever of um in north america or england you know ask them what mm-hmm. doctor who looks like they'll describe tom baker for sure they, if you would ask them to draw who doctor who looks like they'll draw tom baker yeah. like there were there were like seven other guys six or seven other guys but they'll draw tom baker because uh, he was the longest serving doctor at seven years as well so there's that too i mean yeah. he was he was there for quite a while and and so for a lot probably of probably the most popular one in the US too. Like that's yes. when he became like I even have uh Doctor Who comics that and they're mm-hmm. definitively Tom Baker looking, oh, right? Yeah. So yeah, so I think that he was solidified beyond England's shining shore. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> that yes. he was the doctor for that for a lot of people that way. Yeah, cuz yeah. he he was the one that goes with with uh what Rob was talking about at the very beginning that your first doctor is your doctor. Mm-hmm. He doctor who kind of takes off in America around 1984. And he was the doctor at the time. And that's why I say North America. Uh, that's what everybody thinks of as the doctor. Right. Like he, yeah. he was the one that took off here, here in, uh, here in like North America. Yep. No, no, that. And so that's how doctor who basically was solidified into American popular culture, at least in the 20th yeah. century anyway. So Tom Baker's run was fascinating in the sense that, again, as I alluded to earlier, um, Tom Baker's run was a horror show, both in front of <laughs> and behind the camera, uh, but mostly behind the camera, but mostly, sorry, in front of the camera. Hammer horror was super big in England in the uh, 70s. And so just like John Pertwee was a riff on the whole of you know spy fiction and that being super popular in the 60s. Tom Baker was that reaction to that. It's like, okay, you all want horror show? We're going to give you horror. And they literally just turned Tom Baker into basically uh, it's a their Hammer Horror stories. If you watch Hammer Horror from that period, it's Doctor Who. It's the Doctor Who of that period, except instead of Professor Quatermass, who's another who's literally a Doctor Who figure, mm-hmm. um, or uh, what else? Who he's not a Hammer horror character though. He predates Hammer. Yeah. But there's also oh, who is it? Van Helsing. There's a bunch of there's a couple different characters that pop up in the Hammer horror stuff. Yeah. and mm-hmm. they're do- it's Doctor Who. It's it's pretty much Doctor. In fact, I don't- and Hammer horror was really popular in the U.S. too, oh, right? Like yeah. it, yes, it, it was. Got, that's where like I never I never watched it because uh, it it wasn't really available for for me. Right. But, uh, I there's so many friends of mine that talk about Hammer Horror that are from my age group and in mm-hmm. the states that it's kind of shocking. It's the same thing with Dark Shadows. I never saw Dark Shadows, so huh. it was yeah. really, until audio drama when people were saying, "Oh, the audio drama of Dark Shadows!" Like, what the hell is that? I had no idea. I'm sure Don saw it because you were right on the border. Yeah, but I never saw it at all. Yeah, me neither. Never wow. saw Dark Shadows. I've never seen an episode of it or no. anything except the YouTube clip of it. Yeah, oh, wow. for sure. Yeah, we we, um, we watch it all the time because my family absolutely loved it. There you go. 
Yeah, there we go. So that horror thing that was going on in the 70s, Doctor Who was a reflection of that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, hell, Doctor Who, and I distinctly remember this because this was part of the uh, early run that I saw before I, you know, my parents forbid me to watch it again, um, <laughs> wh- or watch it the first time, actually, was, um, oh, was it The Ark in Space? Oh, um, yeah. Which is basically Alien. It's the movie mm-hmm. Alien, just For done sure. by Doctor Who several years before Alien. Mm-hmm. It li- it pretty yep. much is just Alien. Yeah. Yep. Um, with bubble wrap, green bubble wrap. But anyway, that's <laughs> not the <laughs> evil green bubble wrap. Um, but the point is, that, but yeah, they, they do the Alien thing with it. And I think he did Alien twice, actually. If I remember, there's another do- later Doctor Who serial that's basically Alien also. Um, that that one may have been after the movie Alien, though. But my point is, is that so Doctor, so he starts very sci-fi, if I remember right, but then very quickly, I mean, I guess they figure, well, we have all these BBC period piece sets and costumes mm-hmm. and everything. Let's just start doing it. And people love this, the, you know, Hammer period horror. Let's mm-hmm. have Doctor Who have lots of Hammer period horror adventures. And so that's what they did. Yeah. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, though. Didn't, isn't he, didn't he do The Matrix to begin with as well? Like, wasn't there an yes. episode or a series? Yeah. I yep. thought so. I, I remember seeing that, but I couldn't remember. And I knew it was Tom Baker, but I couldn't remember whereabouts it was in this yep, series. They call it the Matrix. It's this virtual world. I don't yep. remember Literally, the they details. call it the yeah. Matrix. There you yep, go. Yep, that they literally call it the Matrix. Yeah. From Doctor Who and the Deadly Assassin. Yeah, there we go. There you go. Um. So, yeah, there. you know, Doctor Who, that's the thing, right? There's a ton of ideas that... Mm. Um, that were taken. Actually, here's another fun one. Um, so everyone's like crazy about uh, Days of Future Past, the mm-hmm. X Men, you know, the X Men story where right. you know, robot Sentinels will take it over in the future, and so the X Men send Kitty Pride's consciousness back to the yes, past right. to prevent the Sentinels from ever being created. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a direct ripoff of a Doctor Who story where the Daleks have taken over in the future in Scarrow, basically, and right. they send they send someone back their consciousness or them back to the past to stop the Daleks from being created. Yes, that's how it goes. You need and to mention who Scarrow, Scarrow is, though, too, right? Scarrow is the home planet of the Daleks. That's yes. right. And then there's also the Daleks' main leader. What's his name? Davros. Davros, yeah. And he was created by Terry Nation later on at one point, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, yep. And they, they, they didn't ask him specifically. They wanted him to do something, or he was trying to do something else. They were like, you've done this a thousand times. Yep. Why not cr- come up with a leader for the Daleks? And then he came up with, with Davros. So. Yeah, and he came up with that plot. And then a number of years later, Chris, I believe the story goes that John Byrne, who was the artist and artist co-creator on the new X-Men, pitched right. that story to uh, Chris Claremont. Cla- Claremont said, oh, you're a genius. That sounds great. And then <laughs> Byrne said, Byrne's claim... In fact, is that is that he actually had he thought at the time that he was coming with an original idea, and it was only later on that he remembered that it was actually a Doctor Who episode, oh, even geez. though he pretty much ripped it off beat for beat. But whatever, we're not going to worry about that. Well, that um, happened in Star Trek, so too you know that right? The original Star Trek, there was an issue about that as well in one of the original series. Mm-hmm. Which one was it? I can't so remember. That was, it was called Arena. Was the original oh. story that was the one with the Gorn? Oh so, right. And so that one actually made it all the way to like the script editor people who check for this stuff. They're like, um, this is a science. And the guy went, oh my God, you're right. Like as soon as they said that, he just took this deep breath and they had already started filming and they called the guy who wrote the short story. And I forget who his name is now, but he was like a big Star Trek fan. He's like, yeah, 
yeah, for sure. Do it. <laughs> Thank, <laughs> Thank God. Because we would have lost so much money. So, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. That that makes sense. Yep. No, no. I, I, you're right. I did. I do vaguely remember that story as well. But so, yeah, that, that kind of thing happens. I mean, we're exposed mm-hmm. to so many ideas, right? And we for sure. sometimes we're, we're, we're usually, I mean, someone once said that uh, writers are the greatest thieves alive. Right. <laughs> that they basically, they steal every, ideas from everyone around them and everything around them. Yes. Well, because because so, because you know you, go. you know what proof of that is because because to 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 take the two examples, the episode of Star Trek Arena, if I remember correctly, was technically they didn't copy the short story; they copied an episode of the original Outer Limits that was based on the short story. Oh, geez! Because when you talk about the Doctor Who one, the the X Men. Mm-hmm. Cribbin from Doctor Who, you're talking Genesis of the Daleks. It was the episode that introduced Davros. But Mm -hmm. technically, that cribbed from the episode with the third Doctor, Death to the Daleks, where Mm -hmm. a bunch of terrorists came back from from the future to kill off uh, a senator at this one big Mm -hmm. peace conference because they thought that he had sold out the uh, Earth government, and that's how the Daleks managed to invade way back when the original Doctor was, was playing. But you find oh, out wow. you find out it was them coming back and blowing up this conference that actually weakened the Earth's defense to let the uh, to let the Daleks uh, invasion work. Which in the days of Future Past and the X Men was it was the senator that they killed off that the uh, that right. the uh, the uh, Brotherhood of Evil Mutants killed uh, Senator Kelly, I believe it was. Yes, that was, yeah. his death is what spurred on the Sentinel Project and made people accept it and led to the future. So by them trying to fix things they made things worse so basically worse. everybody's yeah. just ripping off everything else <laughs> well yep. terry nation kept yeah yeah yeah, yeah. terry nation <laughs> ripped off himself or just ripped <laughs> on himself basically which that was the joke right that um is that terry jason basically sold the same story i think it was four times or five times <laughs> yeah. to bbc basically <laughs> The same Dalek story, <laughs> you, variations. Uh, you of saw it. that a lot, a lot through a lot of different stuff. Like even in old time radio, I was just noticing how they mm-hmm. recycled the same story in various different detective stories, right? Yeah, so it's like, oh, yeah of course. You'll see it in Sam Spade, but then you'll see it over there with Philip Marlowe, and then it's yeah, it's it's all over the place that way. So yep, there are lots of standards. Um, and I don't and, mean like the same theme. I mean like literally the same script. Yeah, the oh, same yeah. characters and everything. Yeah. So. Oh yeah! Oh no! No! No question. That was a, that was a popular one. Um, you see that in many t- many situations where you have a whole bunch of writers that have to get out a lot of stuff really quick. They right. basically grab every idea they possibly can, and it usually ends up being stuff that they saw someone else do. It's like, okay, let's <laughs> let's just do this. Yeah. Um, right. In fact, a certain friend of mine in animation who will go unnamed um, has actually pointed out that sometimes he's he's worked as a director, and he's pointed out that he's literally had you know, scripts handed to him that he's read before when working on other projects from the same writers. Some writers oh. literally just keep handing in the same script. They just literally like copy search for names and just change the names and hand it in. Yeah. Gene a- Rodberry kept trying to have the meet God or something. I forget what it was. He was always trying to sell Paramount, the movie of like, Oh no, he's going, always going to go back and save uh, Kennedy. That was mm-hmm. the story. Oh, it's like, Oh, it's right. the Kennedy story again. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, good thing they never let him do it. Yeah. But, exactly. Anyway, we're gonna speaking of yep. time, we're gonna be here all night unless because we're only <laughs> on Doctor Number Five of thirteen. Um. Yeah. So okay, so four. So we're so we're in fourth. Let's move on to five. 
Mm-hmm. So, so what ha- So, uh, Tom Baker, who the doctor, basically he's our kind of classic doctor, who's kind of like a little weird, a little all over the place, and that, a little um, weird, <laughs> little let's, weird. Let's yeah, not kind of, forget that they introduced Romana in that. Oh, that's yeah, a, I, so, that's a huge character that you can't. You're, you're right. I was, and of course, it also introduces the first uh, other Time Lord as a companion or Time yeah. Lords because we got Romana, yeah. who has yeah. two, of course, two forms. The first, the first time, first season, it's a Mary Tam who plays Romana, who that's is right. more, who is a straight up uh, Time Lord scientist, very in some ways similar to Joe Grant, actually, not Joe. Um, the one who came before her, who I mentioned. Oh, crap. Anyway, um, but the, the unit scientist who I mentioned earlier. Um, mm-hmm. In some ways, um, so she's very straight up. Mary Tam, good actress. In fact, actually, she went on to have quite a career even after Doctor Who, in fact. Yes. Because she was a very good actress, in fact. Yeah. And, quite, and quite lovely. And then we get to probably one of the cutest women to ever walk the face of the planet. As well as someone who Rob still has a crush on today, which is Lala Ward, mm-hmm. um, yes. who, who was the second Romana. Yeah, in her um, schoolgirl in her schoolgirl uniform in, in France. In her schoolgirl uniform. <laughs> oh my god! Um, oh god, you, she is adorable. There's yep. no other term for her. Like she is just so. And if you see, even see her today, she's in her sixties. She's still beautiful. Yeah, oh well, even god, even so Tom Baker thought she was adorable. So let's. Yeah, Tom Baker thought that. she was so adorable. He married her. That's so. right. Yeah. Which shocked everybody because I guess they fought constantly. <laughs> there's, yes. that, there's that story about you always know the relationship during the show based upon whether he looks at her or not on camera. Yep. <laughs> yeah, you, you, how they felt that day, basically, whether That's he'll right. actually look at her in a scene or not. Yeah, and then they <laughs> then they get married and everyone's like, what? And But it only lasted like a year, year and a half or something. Yeah, and yeah, then, they, yeah. then they divorced. But That's right. um and but apparently they're still on good terms. She says nice things okay. about him. Actually, apparently oh, that nice. there. The, um, and of course she would go on. And you know who she went on to marry eventually, right? No, who? Lala Ward went on to marry a couple of years later. Richard Dawkins. Oh wow! Up until like just a year or two ago, they apparently divorced just like a year or two ago. They're both still around. Oh, um, and, yeah, she actually married. Uh, she was introduced. Uh, the story goes is that she had she was introduced by Douglas Adams of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy at a party to Richard Dawkins, a, yep. a, 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 a popular British scientist of the time, um, and, famous um, atheist, and so is yeah. and so is Adams. To be honest, yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. They probably was probably yep. an atheist party. Who knows? Yeah. Um, and <laughs> point being that, and then so she went on to marry him. So for like they wow. were married like. 20, 25 years, at least, at least 25 years, probably more. That's amazing. Um, yeah. So she was Mrs. Richard Dawkins. So there you go. Huh, I um, know that. That's cool. Yep. Um, but yeah, uh, Lala Ward, definitely mm-hmm. my, fa- uh, my two favorite companions are probably her and Sarah Jane Smith. I would probably no, have to say that. For sure. Huh, for oh sure. no. Yep. All right. Anyway. <laughs> but, okay. So there we go. Well, Jack, you're right. We had to mention Romana. I almost skipped over and that would have been a grave sin. All right. So, <laughs> especially for especially for those of us who were teenage boys in the 1980s and such, um, that would have been 100%. a truly great sin. Yeah. Um, yeah. Joe Grant can have her Daleks or whatever. I don't care. <laughs> anyway. There was, there was a really weird element that I want to point out when she was making her transition to the second Romana. If yes. I remember correctly, again, again, so much is so long ago. But oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Didn't she like try to choose on various different kind of bodies? bodies? Yep. Yes, yes, she did. Yes. And she and, and they didn't do that before. And I don't think they've done that since because it always seems to be like he's going to die whenever he does his regeneration kind of thing. Now, is did they explain why it was easier for her to do that? They they did in the game because this is another one of the things at this point 
I don't think they've come up with the concept that there's a limit on his regenerations. Mm-hmm. Which I, they've gotten rid of again for some reason. Yeah. Well, they, they didn't. They they, they kind oh, of good. fudged it. Because the idea is that a Time Lord can regenerate 13 times. 13 times. That was the original yeah. plan, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the current one, the reason he's done more is because the Time Lords themselves kind of re-energized them. Yeah, they gave him a reboot. Yeah, the idea... Well, when did they do that? Oh, that was like for the 50th anniversary. Oh, maybe I missed that one. Yeah, they, they, they kind of... they Because the idea is the regeneration takes a lot of energy, so that's why you can yeah. do it limited times. At this point, they never exactly clarified what Romana was doing. Was she actually regenerating? Or the explanation that came out, and again, this came from the FASA game, is... She's not doing a full regeneration, but she's burning off a little bit of energy. That it's a skill that you can develop that she can okay. she can actually do the change without doing the full change. So it's not like a regeneration rebuilds your body if you've been injured or or, or killed or that, and that's right. why it brings you back. Like, but she's not doing that. She's not healing anything or rebuilding anything. She's just kind of changing the uh, the the appearance of herself. Okay. On on a quick aside. How is mm-hmm. that FASA game for as a system? I've never played it. I've heard about it, but I've never played it. Is it a, a decent enough game or not? It's a it's a good game. It plays really well. The only thing is they do a really crappy job of explaining character design. Okay. So you have to sort of well, that's eighties, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. But it's it's a particularly bad job. Expl- you have to kind of read the example and then reverse engineer what they did. Gotcha. But once you made okay. the characters, because we played the hell out of it back in the day, it's actually a pretty good game. Oh, okay, right. cool. Okay, okay. okay. Um, so Sorry again, for the side again. No, 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 no. <laughs> very, actually, that was a good question, Jack. Okay, so, yeah, because for some reason, I had always thought, I don't know where I picked this idea up, it came, who knows where this came from, was that actually the other Time Lords could do that, but just not the Doctor. Like that mm. there was something about the Doctor that he couldn't, he couldn't control his regenerations, but other Time Lords could. Mm-hmm. I could have sworn I read that somewhere, probably some you know, game or some fan thing or whatever. But that's, but that was, that I don't know why that's what I had in my head that he couldn't control it. And so that's why. But um, Mm. also from a production point of view, they don't want to have to do that whole, you know, trying out bodies thing again. That would just be incredibly annoying. That was an interesting thing to try once, but Mm -hmm. my God, if each doctor got to try out being a whole bunch of different, you'd end up with something out of the curse of the fatal death where we got, where we have a whole (laughs) bunch of, he'd be, he'd be trying to, he'd be basically take the faces of a whole bunch of British celebrities or something of the day. And then basically decide, okay, well I'll take this unknown, a relatively unknown actor. (laughs) It would would be doctor fashion week. That's what we that's exactly <laughs> there'd be a whole episode every couple of years where he'd exactly. basically just be trying out different character designs and such. that's right <laughs> yeah so no we don't want to do that they did get back in the silver age with the uh, superheroes especially the girls right they would say like okay so draw in what you think supergirl oh, should yes. wear or kind yeah. of thing yeah. remember all that stuff that was weird well yeah. then supergirl would actually try them on in the comics yep they, yeah. that's they right tr- well, yep. the doctor yep. himself did that because remember when tom baker switches there's the bit where he's trying to find his new outfit Yes. Oh, and he's wearing like a. He's in Scotland, right? They they said to him like something. I forget. It was something like you know, are we in Scotland? He's like, well, I'm I'm wearing a kilt, so yes. Oh, oh no, that <laughs> that was the uh, that was uh, the Zygon menace that he actually wore That's a right. kilt. But if you remember the in, uh, in Robot, he comes out wearing like Roman centurion armor at one point. Uh, oh, okay. Geez, yeah. yeah. 
been a long time. All right. Yeah. So again, let's get moving, fellows. Um, so <laughs> moving, we got to get forward through time. So um, <laughs> otherwise, this is going to be a two-part episode. It so could let, end up being that way. Let's be honest. It's a mm-hmm. huge series. It, it, yeah. it is a huge series. And a is, huge isn't topic. it the largest uh, science fiction series of all time? Yeah. At yeah. This yes, point? it is. Yeah, Longest so, running. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Even it's got Trek way beat. Um, oh, for sure. Um, and every, all the others. So, so anyway, so we get to Peter Davidson, who I will say is the most straight up doctor. Basically, he's like yeah. he's the he's Doctor uh, Everyman, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Like he's the exact opposite of Tom Baker. Tom Baker was the old wackadoodle, whereas um, Peter Davidson is just a straight up, fairly likable, normal guy. Yeah, except for he 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 is pretty nasty to Tegan once in a while. <laughs> But Tegan's pretty nasty to begin with, so it makes Ooh. sense. Like well, there's there's a lot more of of snark back and forth between the Doctor and his companions when it comes to Davidson. Yeah, and I didn't notice this until I started rewatching. Went, wow, that was pretty harsh. <laughs> like, well, hey, Davidson zing. is the youngest of all the Doctors, right? and so he's the closest in age to the companions. Yeah. So if you, so sense. so if you think about it, his his relationship to them is almost more like almost like roommates or something in a weird way. He's not their boss exactly. He's kind of just sure. kind of the leader of the pack. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and of course, Tegan was supposedly added to try to sell it to the to the Australian Broadcast Corporation to get them to fork over a little cash to help production. <laughs> yeah. Which of course that the Aussies said, sure. "Yeah, <laughs> no thanks, mate. We'll we'll show it, but that's it." Um. So. Yeah, that didn't work. But we still got stuck with Tegan for at least two seasons because she was somewhat popular. Right. Yep. Um, doctor, and of course, uh, Peter Davidson is the first Doctor to have three companions at the same time. I think. Yes. I think. Yeah. Was, se- wh- second who doctor was else? Had? Second who Doctor else did. did. The first Doctor did. Yeah. The first. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, did. yeah. That's right. Yeah. No. But the, and, it's hard to say those the first Doctor's companions because they were unwanted. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> true. Well, some so. some of the later ones weren't like uh, Ben and Polly. Actually, they started mm-hmm. right, and he wasn't trying to actively murder them like the two teachers. Yeah, that. so that's true. <laughs> it changes. It, it does. It does. Yeah. And Peter Davidson is, yeah, I said he's probably my doctor in the sense that he's, you know, straight up guy. He was more, a little more heroic, a little more, you know, average hero guy. And, uh, and I mean, he made salary work. So what, what, what else can you say about <laughs> him, actually? I yeah. mean, not everyone can rock a stick of salary and make it work, and he did it. You need to explain that for people who don't know what you're talking um, about. <laughs> if you actually look on his lapel, Peter Davidson's uniform has a stock of salary. And which this makes was one no of those, sense. But... Which made, well, no, it makes perfect sense. it did. It did. It did? Mm-hmm. It did. There okay. was a reason. I, which was I never Don? saw the reason. What was the reason? There was technically two that he wore it because uh, I believe his explanation was under exposure to certain hazardous elements, the celery would wilt or change color. And if you got hungry, you could eat it. Yep. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Those were the two. The, it's not the same stock of celery either. He's refreshing it on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I love those little things that they do in Doctor Who. Like, I remember, I think it was Baker, where at one mm. point he, like, picks up a hat rack and they and, and, and brandishes, like, a weapon. Everybody's, like, terrified of him. <laughs> I love when they he takes, like, an everyday average thing and either makes it into a some kind of designed weapon or something to detect something or just confuses somebody about it. I think that's a brilliant element that they use in the show when they yeah. can. And I've yep. done that in my writing when I've done that. I've, I've you know, I've, I'll, I'll have him 
do that kind of thing in that story so oh no absolutely you, you absolutely should that because that, that's a trait of the doctor it absolutely is yeah he, he, was, um, he was the best at mm-hmm. that because the the one that i always liked for tom baker was he was trying to plot the stars and he's holding up his scarf and he's looking at the stripes and he gets confused oh wait no metric and then he flips the scarf over <laughs> <laughs> Baker was great for those. I love that. Like, there's a whole series of him when he's got a coin and he's flipping it, yeah. deciding whether he's going to go <laughs> left or right. And he flips it one way, looks that direction, turns the coin over on his on his <laughs> wrist, and goes the opposite way, as if it didn't matter in the first place. Oh, that was so brilliant. Yeah, but, well, I, 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 Baker's. You know, he's kind of the Ryan Reynolds of Doctor Who. He was basically kind of improving. I suspect most yeah, of it, for sure. Like yeah, and that was just his sense of humor and style, and it just leaked in. And ah, oh. so yeah, uh, Peter Davidson. Uh, what else can we say about him? Anything else? Anyone wants to say about Peter Davidson before we move on? I he it, and and this is gonna gonna be kind of funny, all things considered. He's my least favorite Doctor. Wow. Now this is mm-hmm. where I say when he first came out, I hated him, and watching him more recently, I actually he did a good job. It's but what happened is. This is one of those points where you can tell they they weren't sure where to go, that their audience had kind of aged up. Mm-hmm. They didn't know what to do. And they went, Peter Davison, like Rob was saying, is more of a typical hero. Mm-hmm. He's straight-laced. He's focused. Again, he's young. He's, like, energetic. He's not weird at all. Um, if you follow the episodes, they bring back a lot of older stuff for the Doctor, but they kind of... Um, not necessarily reinvented, but flesh it out a little bit, because this is where you get more of a story with the Silurians, and you get more of more with like the the Master and that, and they're trying to do kind of more in depth stories, and it represents one of those eras where you're seeing that change. And when I was a kid, I loved Tom Baker, so that's why that radical change kind of gave me whiplash. But Watch, mm. Watching it now, I can like knowing behind the scenes, I can see that they were intentionally trying to do something radically different. Um, yes, because they'd kind of pe- popularity had kind of peaked, and it's that point where there's nowhere to go but down. So they didn't want to mm. do the same thing. They want to try something different. They want to try again, like you said. They they add like um, Tegan to appeal to an Australian audience because it's now going global. And they kind of reel it in a little bit, and that's what what uh, what Davison kind of represents. That it it's for me. I liked the crazy horror, freewheeling wackiness of Tom Baker, and this one kind of took me by surprise. But again, looking at him now, he did a really good job, and I can see why people really enjoyed this. But it's one of those points where you can really see, like I say, they're trying to do something new, but they're not quite exactly sure what. Mm-hmm. And then we get Wesley mm-hmm. Crusher, and it's like, no. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Yeah, because that's sadly it is. I wonder who came up with the idea of Adric. Like, who said we need to have this character? Because I, I, anytime I try to look it up, nobody seems to. <laughs> nobody wants to take <laughs> credit. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to assume Adric, if I recall right, was looking back again. This looking back was simply one of those. I don't know who came up with him, but but basically he's Chekhov. He was the attempt to to appeal to the youths, to the youth of yeah. the time, right? That, right? that that that's simply it. He was he was. They thought, okay, we'll include a character that's more the audience's age and such. Right. Well, because that's and that makes sense. 
because it, it's for yes. that. It's for that. They're trying to to age it down. Yeah, because that look, was the whole point. Yeah, yeah. Looking at Adric, you know what would have made Adric passable is if the actor was younger. Like he kind of came across as like someone who was ten and not like say fourteen or fifteen. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it seems like they were writing that they 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 wrote a much younger part. And that's because he kind of comes across as like a whiny git. And he's always, but I won the math award. Yeah. Literally, he, he does that, which is like what a little kid would do. But like a teenager, it's kind of a little, little great. And I think, again, it's one of those. It's not bad. The actor did a good job with what he had. But mm-hmm. it was kind of like a production misstep because, again, they're at that crossroads. They're not exactly sure where to go now. So they're sort of that idea, like Rob said, you put that character that's more like the audience to pull them in because they're getting scared so they're playing it safe and they're going back to the old standards right and they ran into the other problem with um adric that they also introduced uh nissa for whatever weird reason nissa basically was the same was fulfilling the same role on the team as adric was except she wasn't so you basically had two uh, you had two adrics Except one was a girl and much cuter, and one was a kind of annoying boy. So yeah, yeah you well, know, the annoying boy um, gets the gets the final end. Yeah, <laughs> literally. Yeah, you literally. Yeah, <laughs> he's one of the very few companions to actually die in the show. That's mm-hmm. right. Spoiler, I know, but I think we can work with thirty-year-olds, forty-year-old spoilers, <laughs> just, whatever it is. Just because he's like forty-year-olds, forty-year-old spoiler. <laughs> 40-year-old spoiler. I think we were, yeah. Which actually shocked the honest, heck out of me because I actually was, liked Adric. I I did too, and and I was the same way. But I had to admit, like that was a really cool concept at the time for me. Yes, to just mm-hmm. sit there and go, oh, so that's how the dinosaurs got wiped out. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Very cool. <laughs> so. Exactly. So yeah, I thought that was great. I don't know. I thought that was really cool. Mm-hmm. I agree. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so moving right along, and event. So Peter Davidson gives way to colin baker no relation to tom baker not their cousins um who cousins. i would argue what he, their cousins yeah oh they're cousins okay uh, i did not know that um but yeah. uh, but the key the key though is as who i would argue is the most well okay one of the most there's there's maybe another one later um one of the most misunderstood doctors and I want to clarify. I think I got my my uh, Celeste McCoy and Colin Baker mixed up. I think it's Colin Baker that time has not been super nice to. Uh, that he's really aged. Yeah. Oh um, yeah. To- oh yeah. yeah. Colin Baker yeah. is um, a rather large fellow at this point. He's he he uh, yeah. yeah. He does not look. He does not. You. It's hard to recognize him. Actually, yeah, if you he look was, back. He was he was not a small man to begin with, and then yeah, yeah and he's definitely he's tall. Yeah, Kevin larger. Murphy. Yeah. 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 yeah he like so. <laughs> Hmm. Um, so, so, but, so I don't know anything about him really. I didn't see any of the shows about him. So oh. tell me what you think is most important about him and why why you feel that way, Rob. Um, okay. Um, so, well, here's the deal: is that um, I Donald can correct me on this one, but as I recall, the story goes like this: so when uh, Peter Davidson left, there was a new kind of a new there was a change in showrunners, basically. In fact, there was more than one, actually. There were no, like two showrunners. And they had completely radically different ideas of what they wanted to do with Doctor Who, is the, is the, as the story goes. And so 
they couldn't decide whether they wanted to do something like that. They want one of them wanted to do something almost more like cyberpunkish, like Judge Dredd, because that cyberpunk was popular at the time. And mm-hmm. one of them wanted to kind of make Doctor Who even more of a kid show. Yeah. Mm. And so as an end result, you ended up with this. He's the so Colin Baker is the end of this tug of war. So you have a character that looks like literally his name should be like Professor Snuggles or something like that. <laughs> but he's not aware of the way he's dressed and his style and everything. I believe that came from Jonathan Nathan Turner, if I remember right. Yeah. The one showrunner. And I don't remember the other showrunner's name, but basically the fact that Colin Baker's doctor is kind of a psycho. Um, and that's putting it mildly. Really? Now the way mm-hmm. now the way they explain it, well here. Actually, I was just watching an interview with him, as I mentioned earlier, and they were talking about that, you know, he's kind of screwed up because he his doctor actually starts out as a, okay, when, he's, when he first change, goes over, he has what's called time sickness. So they decide to play with the idea that the doctor is kind of mentally unstable, okay? okay. And he has a new companion, Perry, with him, and um, who, who is definitely there for the teenage male audience. There's no question about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Oh, actually, I believe Perry actually joined with Peter Davis at the very end. Yeah, it doesn't matter. The, the key point is this: is that um, I remember that, her and Peter Davis tonight, and I never saw that. That's I want to point out that my my contributions now have ended until the Fox movie. So okay, okay. <laughs> I missed those last two, so I'm curious as you guys are. Go ahead. Okay, so anyway, basically he's nuts, and he treats Perry in the first couple episodes like an abusive boyfriend. In fact, he literally tries to kill her at one point. He tries to strangle more her than one. in the darkness <laughs> at one point. He pins her to he pins her to the center console with his hands and tries to choke her to death. Yeah, a couple. Oh, Lord. He tries to kill her a couple times. Yeah, he tries That's... to kill her a couple times. Yeah, and. As in, you know, like in Super And she psycho- stays with him because? <laughs> well, she has no choice. She's trapped on the TARDIS with him. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, um, kind of. Actually, this is it said this is because of his, um, you know, a transformation sickness. That This transformation didn't quite go right and everything like that. And then after that, he actually levels out and becomes a not bad doctor. He actually is okay, okay after that. But the thing is, as he points out, Everyone remembers him trying to kill Perry. That's all they remember him as, as the abusive boyfriend psycho doctor. Right. Some of his later, as the season goes on, he actually becomes a perfectly fine doctor. But the problem is, is that by then, well, there are two problems. One, the stories keep going back and forth between serious horror and lighter. And it's like literally whiplash. Yeah. And the other problem is, because of the showrunners, and the other problem is, is that already the die was cast. Everyone's like, I fucking hate this guy. Oh, jeez. Now, this, the weird thing is, is apparently Colin Baker, who, again, you, as you say, is uh, not, time has not been kind to, he's still around, um, is actually apparently an astoundingly sweet and nice guy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But because mm-hmm. of that Doctor role, because of that Doctor Who role, he became cemented as this, like, crazy psycho. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Poor guy. So, so he's kind of the opposite of Tom Baker in a weird sort of way, actually. <laughs> so we're, we're describing one being a psycho on screen and one being a psycho <laughs> off. Well, you know, that, they, they're kind of, uh, they, it, it kind of got reversed, shall we say. So um, one got to be the master in real life is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, yeah. That's not, that's not pushing it too far. So anyway, we so that's why we he only lasted We haven't talked about the season. master, really, have we? No, we, we kind of skipped over the master. We yeah. briefly introduced him. And okay. then he became, and he was, because he's a regular only for two seasons, which, well, two of the old seasons. The yeah. master's a regular for Pertwee, and he's a regular for uh, Davidson. He kind of yep. skips Tom Baker. I'm not even sure if there's a master episode in Tom Baker's. Yeah, there's the Deadly Assassin is the master. Oh, episode. yes, the That's, Deadly Assassin. Yeah, yeah but, but he's. Isn't that the, the okay. one where he changes too? Yeah, because he, he, he dies right. 
with he regenerates yeah yeah, yeah. the original actor that's where he gets regenerated into the actor that i'm familiar with yeah yes more. Yeah. yeah, which is Anthony Ainsley, I think is his name. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, the second the second master or whatever. But but and but Tom the master did show up. But you're right in Tom Baker's era. But for most of Tom Baker's era, he was portrayed as this kind of lich like character with this like skull burnt out face, wearing a robe and everything. It was kind of hiding in the shadows. Yeah, because mm-hmm. and and so he, he couldn't really do anything because he was kind of burnt out. Well, he was he was trapped right. in he was trapped in the Matrix because he died, but. That he died with the th- with the third doctor, but he didn't actually die because remember he's the one that he takes possession of Nissa's father, and that's how he comes back to life. Yes, right. Yes, yes, that's right. Yeah, at the very that, and that's why I don't think of him as a Tom Baker doctor or yeah. master because right. he literally shows up at the very end in that form as as uh, Tom Baker at the very end of Tom Baker's run, yeah. very very end. Yeah. yeah. And I don't even think he, he doesn't show up in Colin Baker's. I don't think either. In fact, I don't even know if he shows up in. Does he even show up in Sylvester McCoy's? Uh, he does. Sylvester McCoy runs into him. He was supposed because he runs into him in uh, the very last episode, Survival. Right. And with uh, with Colin Baker, no, the mas- I think the, is the master in it. Yeah, he. I think he is because uh, they introduced the Ronnie. The Ronnie is another evil Time Lord, and she teams yes. up with them. Oh, right. Yes. Yes. I forgot about the Ronnie. Yeah. So kind of the fe- fe- master's female counterpart. Um, yeah. so, so anyway, so yeah, so Colin Baker has an okay run, but it's kind of, it's all over the place. And it's a mess. And I think that, and mm-hmm. so then they get rid of one of the showrunners. And of course, Baker's, that's why Baker's only around for one season. And then we get Sylvester McCoy, who oh, is Colin, Colin Baker's Sorry, around, Colin Baker's around for like three seasons. He is? I guess when he was only one. Yeah, he's what happens with him uh, to fill in some of the details. The problem that you had with him and the reason that he he came across as a psycho at the beginning was the plan that Colin Baker had signed on under and what they wanted to do. Because, again, it's that idea that uh, Peter Davison was more of a kid's doctor. They wanted to age it up. He was going to be almost a villain. And that was the idea with, because uh, if you remember with Perry in the first couple episodes, she was terrified to be around him. And it was supposed to be, like, his outfit was supposed to be more like the master. He was going to wear, like, all black. Mm, and right. he was going to be this sinister, creepy, almost horror figure. But like Rob was saying, you had two schools of thought that one of them thought, no, we got to make it a kid's show. And one of them thought, no, everybody's old, we'll do an older one. And... The whiplash is astounding because you'll get it during the same episode. Oh, jeez. Like, Mark of the Ronnie is about this mad scientist who's, like, draining the spinal fluid out of people in this, like, like small uh, pre-industrial town. And at one part, the doctor's strapped to a gurney, like, Three Stooges-style, sailing through town. Jeez. <clears throat> and it's... Yeah, cause, it's all over the place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he's also the one, if you remember, he, he actually uh, blows Davros's hand off. Yes, it was him. And you were right. He was from 84 to 86. So he's, yep. I guess it was, although there's actually a hiatus. No, you're kind there, of, you're half wrong. There's he an actually, 18 month hiatus because that's how yes. we get doctor in distress. Right. Okay. That's true. <laughs> you, you act like you don't want to remember that. <laughs> I don't want to remember that. that. So actually, technically he gets two seasons. Yeah. He's, he's season 22 and 23. Because I think, because I believe McCoy is tw- season 24. Yeah, he kind of comes in at the end of, like, season 21, like, at, like, the very end, as I recall. Yeah, he's in the very, very end of it. Um, 
and yeah. Um, well, that's how they usually do the transformation, right? They, they yeah, yeah. kill them off on the very end, and yep. then they, they but, bring on the new doctor, and so they leave people yep. hanging for that reason. Yeah, but his his episode was like he did a full like episode at the end of of that season. So right. it's, wow, it's the yeah case they, of they the stuck Andronosium in a full episode, yeah, to, to get people yeah. used to him. Yeah, that's yeah. Great. Interesting. Uh, <laughs> in the caves of caves of Endrazani in 1984. And then, yeah, so, so he has this weird, there's this weird hiatus. And so technically, okay, fine, two years. Um, so that, But yeah, so he's all over the place. And apparently he doesn't even appear in his own, like, the last episode. Sylvester McCoy in a blonde wig is actually uh, the t- time and the Ronnie. Yeah. At, at the regeneration. Oh, wow. He doesn't even appear, even though he offered to, but apparently the BBC basically was... Um, Baker was removed from the part after starring in only 11 stories in just three years of the series, including his hiatus, making his tenure the shortest at that point. There'd be a shorter one later. Um, Baker was offered a single four-part story to end it and subsequent regeneration, but he refused the offer. Baker offered to the entirety of the following season and regenerated its conclusion, but BBC never responded to his letter. Instead, his replacement, Sylvester McCoy, played the injured Sixth Doctor in a blonde wig as he regenerates in the opening moments of Time and the Ronnie. Yeah. His face hidden by video effects as the regeneration process occurs. Yeah. Oh, wow. So that basically, they they turfed him out. They just said, yeah. you're gone, bye. Yeah, because he, um, he wasn't popular. Like, the ratings at this point were really starting to dip. Yep. And that was what they 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 were saying. It was it was because like they used that the excuse to get rid of him, basically. Yeah, mm. yeah. They used the excuse to get rid of. Him. Although what's interesting is with McCoy's era, what they did, if I remember right, and Don can correct me again on this one, is that with the era, for whatever reason, they decide to suddenly give Doc. They decide, okay, Doctor Who's got terrible ratings. What are we going to do? Let's throw a ton of money at it. And so there's a huge jump in production values between um, uh, between Colin Baker's last episode and Sylvester McCoy's first one. Yeah, it has a new new opening, new style, new everything. They tried to literally kind of uh, regenerate the series, you could say. <laughs> let's let's not the iconic. I was telling my wife today. I was like, I cannot get this song out of my head, and it's the Doctor Who theme, right? And it's mm-hmm. iconic, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And yes. so they they had tried in the past to sort of recreate it earlier on, and it was a disaster, if I remember correctly. And so you could only hear it got replaced even in in, in further uh, when they tried to to bring the show back out again. They would replace the because it was just such a bad version of the whole thing, but. Since then, it's been done many times. Wasn't it f- the first sort of electronic kind of uh, theme music that they did with? Probably close to that, yeah. Yeah, because it, like, it's early on, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and they they actually had a lot of... Well, yeah, they, they were doing experimental stuff. They, they mm-hmm. tried a lot of experimental stuff. And, I mean, it makes sense. If you're going to experiment with the electronic music, Doctor Who is the place to do it, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. That, 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 just, that just makes a certain amount of sense. And so, um, so we get Sylvester McCoy, who is Don's favorite doctor. So we should probably let Don talk about him. <laughs> well, he's he's the one. Like I said, he's he's kind of a mix of the first and the second. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I thought was kind of interesting is you could really tell during his episodes, like he's considered one of the possibly the least popular doctor. And I think mm-hmm. no small part of that is because the whiplash gets a lot worse in his episodes. Yes. And it's the idea, though, you could see a lot of ideas, like when they brought Doctor Who back in 2005, 
a lot of what they were doing, you could see it in the McCoy seasons because they were trying to add a little more story and character. Uh, hmm. So one of the things that you see is is his companion for most of it is Ace. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, Ace. Ace, right. Ace has a backstory. None of the other companions had a backstory, but he meets her. She's working in like a restaurant on a space station because he goes there to get like that's the best milkshakes in the galaxy. And he ends up like she ends up just basically following him into the TARDIS and they have adventures. But all through the, the episodes, there's this idea that you find out that she ran away from home. And mm-hmm. she she, oh, okay. she fell in with this like gang that she didn't know were actually aliens and they stranded her. But they're revealing this through all of the different episodes. Cool. And the, the how how she's the problems with her mom and, and there there's an episode about, you know, how the doctor's kind of like a surrogate parent to her. Mm. And that's why she treats him with disrespect. She doesn't call him the doctor, she calls him professor. Yes. Even though he hates it, but she won't because she's got that kind of rebellious streak because she doesn't like authority because of her mom. And and they're really trying to kind of add, like like I say, like actual development in that to the story. But they're not you get the feel they're not sure how to do it. The format for how they write the show doesn't really work because you've got like three groups of writers constantly writing independent of each other. So you can get the scripts done in time to produce. And character development for companions. Don't be crazy. Yeah, yeah. Basically, <laughs> the the most you had for that prior to Ace was uh, Nissa misses her dad and Tegan wants to go home. And yeah, although when you look, when you look at that, when you look at say like Davison, you get the tiniest little inklings because you had Turlow who was actually a bad guy. He was, I was going to say Turlow actually had character development. Turlow Turlo went through a character arc. But again, it was it was also very plot oriented. It wasn't it wasn't strictly character driven soap opera kind of stuff. Okay, very true, very true. Okay, and, and that was the thing when they brought the Doctor back in two thousand five. That was what they put more emphasis on. And like I say, if you watch the uh, the Sylvester McCoy ones, you can see a lot of that happening. But it never quite takes fruit because again, they don't seem to quite know what to do with it. Okay, mm-hmm. makes sense. Makes perfect sense, yeah. And how long was Sylvester McCoy the Doctor? Was it two or three years? Uh, I think he had another. I, I think officially it's three, but I think it was another. Because they didn't, seasons in Britain didn't work like they did here. You kind of made a bunch of shows and then you showed them and then three months later you made a bunch of more kind of thing. It, it wasn't it wasn't parsed out like at, like we do here. But yeah, he, he officially, I think he did he did three. Uh, let's see. Yes, three. Exactly. Season 24, 25, 26. I just looked it up. Yeah. And each of them had 14 episodes yeah. uh, or four serials, as they called them. Um, so, Cause, yeah. That, so, it, it, which finishing in 1989. Yeah. Cause or, sorry, December 1989. Sorry. There was another season, but the plug got yanked like right away. Because, again, when you see some of the scripts for the other season, they were going to bring back the uh, the, the Martians. Mm-hmm. And you were going to finally get like the story of of their society in that. And again, it's this idea that they were they were trying to make something more dramatic, but they weren't quite sure how to how to get there. Yeah, no, makes sense. Makes sense. So um, then we get okay. So we got Sylvester McCoy, um, and then of course we get the Fox TV movie because the BBC decided they wanted to <laughs> reboot the Doctor 
and they decided they wanted it because Doctor was they sold a, they sold the idea to Fox to get some money, and they got uh, oh what's his name Tom oh again. again Tom 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 again there we go Tom yeah. again to play the Eighth Doctor, which aired on twelfth of May nineteen ninety six on Fox TV as a TV movie. Yeah, which is meant to be a pilot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is in continuity. I mean, it starts out with the uh, it starts out with Sylvester McCoy, yeah, and mm-hmm. he ends, he regenerates into Palm again. So there yep. he is there. Yep, and then he's kind of like a. It's interesting how much it is like that. What would happen with the Doctor's reboot later on? Like he picks up a sassy woman and is kind of like her mysterious boyfriend in a weird way. Yeah, yep. British boyfriend who kind of whisks her up and takes her off on an adventure, which is against the Master who suddenly has the ability to turn into black goo and possess people. Well, he's the T-1000 because everything at that yeah. time was the T-1000. T-1000, <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Exactly. Keep in mind, we haven't mentioned the Master's tissue uh, gun, which is awesome. Mm. Yeah, that's true. It, it turns people into action figures. <laughs> it does. They turn into like these little tiny action figure dolls, and that's what's left of them. You're like, I saw that, and I was like horrified. Like, what the hell? Yeah. What does this thing? This is crazy. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, disintegrate people or whatever, but turn them into dolls? What the hell? Exactly. What's up with that? <laughs> that was the weirdest thing. Oh my god, yeah. that was so strange. Yep, exactly. And so, yeah, and Palm again here. It's okay. It's not you know. It's the, the TV movie is not great. It's but, very you know, American. It's but very American for its I, yeah. I, what I have heard, and so we haven't talked about the Doctor Who audio dramas either, because mm, yep. they were huge to sort of knit in between the spaces when Doctor Who went out. Yeah. So okay. the BBC allowed uh, the, I forget what the company is now. Is it Big Finish? Big yes, Big Finish to yeah. do Doctor Who audio dramas. In fact, BBC doesn't matter. We'll let you guys do your own audio drama of Doctor Who. It's like the most unprotected <laughs> of all. So there's like a th- right now I could name off five different companies that are doing audio drama of Doctor Who, fan fiction audio drama of Doctor Who. Um, and those are just people I know personally who are doing it. So but what would what became an interesting fashion was when mm-hmm. a Doctor Who actor retired he would go do episodes for Big Finish and he would do right. a special series for Big Finish. And they had some pretty good episodes and Paul McGann became one of the more popular Doctor Whos through the Big Finish series. He did a really good t- turn as Doctor Who in the audio drama world. So that, that's the that nicest doesn't thing surprise me. Yeah. yeah, that's a... No, no, he's, he's, he's probably, you know, besides, I would argue, besides uh, Colin Baker, he's kind of the most shafted Doctor <laughs> really, in the in the sense, like he's actually not a bad doctor from what we've seen of him, and he probably would have been fine. He probably would have yeah. been great, but yeah. he just ended up in that bad spot where he only gets the TV movie and he gets the um, what else, what else does he get? He gets the TV movie. There is a prequel, like prequel thing that they did to the oh, what was it? A prequel thing that they did to the it was done as a prequel. To the Doctor Who 50th anniversary special. Oh, yeah. All oh, right. That's basically, it's a, it's him having an adventure, and then he regenerates at the end of that right. adventure to into the War Doctor. Yeah. Right. And um, John Hurt, if I remember right. Yeah. Yes. And so, which was this creation that they came up with because the Ninth Doctor didn't want to appear in the... Um, in the anniversary special. Speaking of which, you guys realize we skipped the Five Doctors? Yes, and the Three Doctors. And, oh yeah, we skipped the three doctors and, as well. You're right. That's and true. the two doctors. 
And there was the two doctors as well. You're right. Yep. Yeah. Because that's one of my favorite Just, episodes. There you go. Why um, am I thinking of food? That's what I mean. <laughs> what made you think that we could actually do this in one night? This is <laughs> you, you know, actually, and you know something? I think that probably this is actually a good point for us to stop. Actually, unless you want to talk, well, we could talk about the three doctors and such and talk more about classic, and then we'll do yeah. another episode about modern Doctor Who. How about that? That Makes sounds sense. perfect. Yeah. Okay, then. Um, so, so the two doctors, the three doctors, and the five doctors. Yeah. So the two doctors, I don't remember that one. When was the two doctors from? That's uh, Colin Baker and uh, Patrick Troughton. Mm-hmm. Okay, Colin Baker and Patrick Troughton. Yeah. Really? That's right. Yeah, yeah, with the Androgoms. Yeah. Who are alien Scottish stereotypes. Yep. Really? They actually did a call? I don't remember ever seeing that one. Oh, I guess yeah. that's, that was part of his run. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we had that. And let's not talk about the Rowan Atkinson, Doctor Who. So. Oh, yes. We oh, need, I love that we, one. We need, <laughs> that's a weird one. That almost comes as a kind of bridge one in a weird way. Well, it is, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And, and that's, well, that's kind of... Because there's there's two catches with with uh, the curse of fatal death. Yes. Number one, Rowan Atkinson did an amazing job playing the Doctor, and I kind of wish he did it for real. Yes. Yes. Yes, he did. And, yeah, I, I rewatched it last week. He should have. Yeah. And one of the guys that plays the the Doctor in one of his many transformations is uh, Richard E. Grant, who played the Doctor officially in the uh, Scream of the Shalkla uh, Internet series. Oh. He did the voice okay. of the doctor for that one. Wow. Mm. So, okay. <laughs> yeah, there's a million people. We haven't talked about Peter Cushing. Yep. There's like a Yeah, we well that was part of the whole That was a movie as well, right? That was Two a... of them. Yep. Yeah. Oh, he did, he did two. I forgot. Yeah. And I believe those came out during uh Pertwee's era, right? The Third Doctor's era. Second, was Yeah, second they're or third. Dalek episodes too, aren't they? Yeah, they're, they're just remakes. Yeah, they they, yeah. they remade the first two and they were they were going to do a third, but they weren't very popular. Oh jeez. It was just an attempt to redo the Dalek stories but with a bigger budget. Yeah. Cuz the Daleks cuz the Daleks themselves were super popular. Yeah. Like people love the British love the Daleks. Oh my god, do they love Daleks. They still do. <laughs> And Terry Nation was like, redo my show again? <laughs> <laughs> I have a script. <laughs> I have a script. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay. So that so, was that was two. Um, so, yeah, that was the two doctors. There's the three doctors, which is who? Yep. <laughs> but I'm both. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. Yes. Yeah. Which is, if I remember right, uh, Troughton, Pertwee. I don't. Oh, yeah. Hart, you're right. Hartnell. I don't yeah. think. But he, but it, he it, wasn't in it very much. I don't. He was really sick. I don't think it was Hartnell that played him. I think it was another guy. Hartnell oh, had already really? passed away. Yeah, Hartnell I, died like a year or so after. I his thought they had finished. him in a, like a mirror care, a mirror or something like that. And he. Was, oh no, no, you're right. Jack's right. He okay. was still alive. Yeah, he was yeah. still. Alive, but, but he, he was basically really yeah. just filmed a couple scenes or something That's like right. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That they showed because he's only seen on a monitor. That's I, right. I, which is, of course, a precedent that would uh, be repeated in the Five Doctors. <laughs> Yeah. Um, which is really the four doctors and Tom Baker kind of appears in stock footage. Well, actually, he didn't. The footage of Tom Baker was from uh, the episode Shada, which was partially filmed but not finished. And then that's right. That that was him and uh, Romana on the, uh, the the canal in Venice. Ah, right. Yes. Yes, that's true. 
that was supposed yeah, we didn't talk about shada either just again such a huge topic yeah yep. wow okay so much so <laughs> that, that, yeah there's the, like doctor who has been so so but there's yeah. you could argue that there was a two doctor episode with um 10 and uh and uh What's well, his name? Nine and ten. Yeah, with ten and nine Smith. And yeah. Ten, ten and eleven. Ten no, no, and eleven. No, 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 no. The Christmas special where where oh. gets to meet Peter Davidson. Yeah. The, yes. That's the, the, the preview to uh Starship Titanic one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah the that's pre- a totally the, different one, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's there's also the one where where here number twelve hangs out with number one. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. But now that is a different actor, obviously. At that, point. oh, that's absolutely a different yeah. actor. Although for that sure. actor does an amazing job of playing number of playing the first Doctor. That's I think why they he's brought played, him back. Yeah, he's played him before. Yeah, there's a yes, he has. yeah. There's I think it's called Adventures in Time and Space. It's a dramatization of the the story of the first uh, like origin of Doctor Who, like the show. Right, 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 and, right. And, yeah. and that actor plays the doc plays the actor playing the doctor in <laughs> yes. the first in in the in the yeah. Adventures in Time and Space, which yeah. I've seen. And then he also goes he did such a good job, he actually went on to play him play the doctor in Doctor Who proper. Yeah. The first right. Doctor again, yeah. Um but we should probably okay. So Doctor Who, of course. Here, let's just take a few minutes and finish things up then. Right, so, doc, so Doctor uh, Doctor Who. Um, so, on that note, folks, if anyone managed to get through this whole episode, thank you for thank you for sticking with us. Um, you're ready you to watch Doctor Who now. Exactly, you're ready to jump into Doctor Who at any time, or you can wait until 2024 and watch Shooty Katwa's uh, debut, and maybe he'll be your Doctor. You never know. Mm, there you but go. if you do want to watch Doctor Who, feel free. Um, I know for a while there anyway on actually it's still there on uh, if you anyone knows what Pluto TV is or they which is like this all these streaming live streaming channels and there's also on Roku if you are on the Roku if you have uh, the Roku TV and you have all their live mm-hmm. streaming channels there's actually a classic Doctor Who channel on there cool if you have a Roku box look on the live streaming channels there's one that literally all it does is stream Doctor Who cool Cool, because I have doctor. Roku. I don't have. I haven't seen all of those, so that's awesome. You have a Roku? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got. A yeah, Roku I don't know if they're going through all the doctors, but I know they're at least going through. It looks like three, four, and five, and maybe six. But I, cool. those those I've seen on it anyway. Oh, so yeah, sweet. go check that out on the on your Roku streaming channel. Thanks. And if by the way, drop by obeythedna.com. Tell us about who your doctor was and why we are wrong. Because Don <laughs> says that uh, Doctor Who divides fandom. All right, then tell us why we're wrong. That when we say that our doctor is the best doctor. <laughs> On that note, thanks for dropping by, Jack, to help us discuss Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Thanks, thanks for Don, having me, guys. Being, it was awesome. Thanks, Don, for being curmudgeonly as usual <laughs> and for your for your esoteric Who knowledge. And thank you, listener, for enjoying the show. And tune in next time for something almost as awesome as this. Maybe better. Who knows? Or maybe, Good night, folks. Maybe more Doctor Who. Exactly. Good <laughs> That's not me having sex, folks. I just want to point that out. <laughs> oh, it's classic Jack, not the modern Jack. Exactly. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to hear more or join the conversation, come visit us at obeythedna.com. You can also find us on iTunes or whatever fine podcast site forgot to lock their back door. 
So until next time, remember that to master the nerdly arts takes time, practice, and enough Coca-Cola to drop a rhino. See ya!